What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 80 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Pittner, and this time I'm joined by Ash Paulson. Uh, and no Andre, but that's kind of to be expected. In fact, I wouldn't blame him at all. If I if positions were switched, yeah, I wouldn't be here for the podcast either because <laughs> we finally got in Super Mario Odyssey, and that's literally all we can say about it. Uh, Ash, yep. uh, yeah, Andre has it, and uh, he's currently working on it uh of course we gotta only have a week until the game comes out so you can imagine embargo times and just how big the game looks so it's pretty safe to to say that's what andre's going to be doing with most of his time for the next uh week (laughs) yeah i mean the only other thing i can say about it is that i too would uh happily trade places with him and miss this week's podcast (laughs) if i was the one with the mario odyssey review code so we're both super excited for him uh he's playing that leaving us to do the podcast and uh Episode 80. Wow. Yeah. 80. Crazy. Isn't it? That is, yeah. We're we're 20 away from the big 100. Now, should we start taking bets now as to whether Andre will make episode 100? Will he be here for that? I would hope he would, but (laughs) I don't know. I guess it depends. I mean, if it's it's around March, I mean, it shouldn't be too much around, too much going on there. I don't know. (laughs) It's crazy to think about, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. We're definitely getting up there. And uh, it's we're definitely getting into the insane part of the year with all the stuff coming out. Uh, my my doom clock is uh, nearly reached zero with the whole Xenoblade and Pokemon thing going on. So yeah, I was gonna say your doom clock. Are you counting down to doom on Switch? There's so oh many god, I guess I could do that. that. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I know, right? But yeah, no, it's it's funny. Like, any other year, you would be completely right. Like, we're entering the crazy part of the year. Except this year, every part of the year has been the crazy part of the year. It hasn't (laughs) slowed down ever. Nope, nope, not a bit. Like, I'm sitting on so much uh, footage and other stuff that I can do for videos, and I just don't have the time to do it all. It's like, it really is just looking like... Because we don't want to, like, put everything all out at once, because that just... uh, overwhelms everything else and no, not everybody can do that plus it annoys subscribers and everything else and it's just like no 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 I can't I can't do that anymore um, and I, I just you, you gotta find that right balance uh, which has been definitely tricky and I, I mean I think just to address Mario Odyssey real quick and I you know I know we have a uh, sort of a reputation when it comes to re- games that get re- when they get released definitely putting out a bunch of content now we've gotten better about spoilers we don't spoil you know uh, yeah. anything about it like it's we keep that kind of stuff out of the thumbnails we try to keep it out of the, the titles it makes it very obvious when we say final boss that it's you know not gonna you know you probably shouldn't look at this video if you don't want to see how a game ends yeah uh, but I do want to reiterate for Odyssey that we are going to be extremely careful with this one. Uh, yes. You don't have to worry about uh, spoiling anything you don't want. And trust me, you can just tell by the same fact that that's all we all we can say is we have the game as how strict this embargo is from Nintendo. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even also, just as fans ourselves, I mean, I certainly don't want to go in and be spoiled, and I would never want to inflict that on anybody. And I know you also don't, Derek. Mm-hmm. So, not even just because we're scared of Nintendo, but also because we're just, you know... We're also gamers, we're also Mario fans, and hey, we're also excited about this game a lot. So we wouldn't want to spoil it for other people because we don't want to have it spoiled for us. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, we definitely want to be good about that. And it, the same will apply to Pokemon and uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I, you know, don't, definitely don't want to uh, give that impression to anybody that we want to just, like, 
shove it all out there for for people. Uh, but yeah, uh, it sort of came to my mind because I put out the final boss and ending for Fire, Fire Emblem Warriors, and people in particular were very upset about that, and I was kind of. Uh, kind of surprised because I it didn't seem like a game people would care that much about, and especially mm-hmm. with, like it's especially for a Warriors game. But I don't know. I just um, I, I people got upset and like made me really think. Is like okay, I might have to be a little bit more precautious about what I put out there and what people actually want to see from us. I don't know. Uh-huh. Just a bit of just a bit of self uh, reflection. No, no, understandable. And and even just, it's worth reflecting on Fire Emblem Warriors anyway, because it's almost as if, I mean, there's obviously hype around the title. It's Fire Emblem Warriors, but of course, the, you know, the character roster ended up disappointing, disappointing a lot of people. But more than that, it just feels weird that Nintendo just kind of quietly pushed it out the door a week, like a week and a half before Super Mario Odyssey. Like, I almost feel mm-hmm. like Fire Emblem Warriors is destined to be lost in Mario's shadow, just because it feels like it's out and people should be excited, but... There's really no buzz about it. Yeah, I'm not really seeing many people talking about the game coming out today. A few a few here and there, but mm-hmm. everything I'm seeing today is a week until Odyssey, holy <laughs> crap. Exactly, Which and I'm just wondering if fair. Nintendo did. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally fair. So I'm just wondering if Nintendo did Fire Emblem Warriors a disservice by not releasing it maybe... Well, I mean, you know, if it's not ready, when it's, it couldn't do it earlier if it's not ready, but maybe even just delaying it a bit until after Mario just to get... Maybe. Out of the Mario shadow, but then again, of course, you're ramping up to Mario. Then it seems almost like kind of an anticlimax if you release Mario Odyssey and then Fire Emblem Warriors. So I kind of feel like they yeah. were stuck in a rough place there. Honestly, I mean, I don't know what kind of kept it from being ready by then, but it really should have come out the same time as in Japan. Um, yeah, like I end agree. Of September, like right around the time Mario and Luigi came out, because yeah. you know. Mario and Luigi and Fire Emblem Warriors are not going to cannibalize each other, especially when they're not on the same system. Although Fire Emblem right. Warriors is available in the 3DS, let's be honest, most people are going to get the Switch version. So yeah. yeah, no, I was actually mentioning in our in our Discord chat today that like it dawned on me that literally the game is out now, and I don't I don't think Nintendo has officially published more than like two or three seconds of the 3DS version of Fire Emblem Warriors. They are so sweeping that thing under the rug. Oh yeah, I, I think we sort of determined that it's almost like a. It was a backup in case Switch yeah. didn't do as well. <laughs> That's what it yeah. sort of feels like. But no, Switch is doing well. So I was like, "Sweet, let's just push this version. Get you know, get it to buy this this one of uh, Fire Emblem Warriors." And you know, I put out my review this week as well for that game, and I enjoyed it. I I gave it a like. I, I think a very solid score. I it's it's one of those weird things where it does a lot of little things so much better than Hyrule Warriors, uh, and I feel like it improves upon that. A lot, and especially the ways that they integrated the Fire Emblem aspects into a Warriors game. I think it works very, very well. The problem is, I didn't find the story mode all that engaging. Like when Hyrule mm-hmm. Warrior, when Hyrule Warriors has a better story than Fire Emblem <laughs> Warriors, there's something wrong here. Like some yeah. something was lost in translation here. And I and I played Dragon Quest Heroes, which also had a very similar plot, but Dragon Quest Heroes was somehow able to be a lot more. I don't know, engaging. Uh, heart, I don't know. Something about it just made me feel a lot more of a connection to it than Fire Emblem Warriors was ever able to achieve. And maybe it was because it th- I, I honestly chalk it up to the fact that no real villain comes in until like the fi- final five chapters. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. It, it, well, it's very weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what I think. I, I was actually, you know, fortunate enough to get a hold of another code, and so I've just been kind of messing around with it and. 
you know, as a casual Fire Emblem fan, I have to say I'm having a really good time so far. And I mean, and I also say this is somebody who really only got Hyrule Warriors for the Zelda aspect. I'm not a big Dynasty Warriors fan. But, you know, even though I'm a much bigger fan of Zelda than I am Fire Emblem, early impressions are telling me that I might actually end up enjoying Fire Emblem Warriors more. And that really might just come down to the quality of life improvements they made, which you just talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them were taken from Hyrule Warriors Legends for the 3DS, like being able to switch characters mid-fight and things like that. Like, it just feels like the package is more elegantly presented than Hyrule Warriors, but on the other hand, you can't beat Hyrule Warriors' roster. Like, that, they nailed it with mm-hmm. the roster in that game. And with, well, But again, because as a casual Fire Emblem fan, the roster doesn't hurt me as much, I guess. Yeah, and the other thing with Hyrule Warriors is that... Even when it came out, it only focused on three different games mainly. And then, of yeah. course, that had a lot of repeats from others. But it focused on three main games. But then the DLC solved that. And then, right. of course, Legends solved that. But that also kind of counted as the second round of DLC. So that's why people were so hopeful for Fire Emblem Warriors that maybe the same thing would happen. And we'll get into that when we get to the news topics. Yeah. But um, th- that's the that's sort of the weird uh, thing for Fire Emblem Warriors is that there's, there's so many different things Right, but I don't think it quite reaches the highs of mm. Hyrule Warriors, and I think that's where it can kind of, I don't know, balanced out for me as far sure. as which one I kind of ended up liking more. Um, and, that, and that's, again, not to say that Hyrule, uh, that Fire Emblem Warriors is a bad game. It's not. Yeah. It is definitely enjoyable. There's a lot of great things to it. Uh, it's just, I don't know, certain aspects just didn't quite reach those heights, and I don't know, we'll, we'll see how it all... Uh, Turns out, when, as now that the general public has it, and all the fire, the diehard Fire Emblem fans get their hands on it, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I have a feeling it's not going to be too kind, but eh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I got to say, one other thing I've really been uh, enjoying recently about my Switch, and this, I'm sure I'm one of the small percentage of people who this actually applies to, but I love that the new firmware update added. Uh, uh, wireless headphone support. So I've just been like going back and playing all my, not like fully, but just going in and sampling all my back catalog Switch games with headphone audio. And oh man, playing games like Fast RMX and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and stuff like that with headphone audio is just so much nicer. <laughs> yeah, I know you're a huge fan of that sort of thing. So I just sort of. It just fits you to a T to have that. Well, and plus, I can also just that too, and I can also be, you know, courteous when it's late at night, both to my wife (laughs) and to my neighbors, and be able to play my Switch without having the volume turned way down. So it's, you know, kind of a win win. Yeah, that works out too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think what else I've been playing other than Fire Emblem Warriors, but that's mainly been it. It's just been working on that, and I'm still playing that because I'm trying to unlock everything and you see all the all it has yeah. to offer which if you know high rewards you know how long that's going to take oh, God. i'll probably <laughs> never see even close to everything that game has to offer <laughs> probably not um but uh and along those same lines i also i don't even think i talked about this last week but i went i actually took the time to watch all of stranger things season one. Oh, nice and uh have you i don't know if you watched that show have you yeah, actually, I oh, have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my wife and I both watched it. Yeah, we, nice. we got caught up in the hype, and we were like, everyone kept telling us, you have to watch it. It's the best thing ever. So we were like, okay, and we finally did. Yeah, and I I heard that as well, but I just didn't have the time, and I was like, okay, it's Halloween. It's you know October. It's Halloween month. I got to do something that sort of fits that. And Stranger Things season two is coming out soon. I'm like, you know what? Let's let's watch this first season now that the initial hype and like, oh my god, it's so amazing. That stuff has died down. I can take a look and. You know, just sort of see what I have to see, and I ended up really enjoying it. Like, it, there is a good reason it got so hyped, um, and I I love how they were able to just achieve this 
really creepy atmosphere for the first like three or four episodes, and then it sort of became more of an adventure story as things went along. Yeah, no, like I enjoyed it too. I mean, I, I would say I, I probably liked it a lot, but I don't think it's quite as unassailable as some people try to make it out to be. Like, I liked it, I really did, but some of the story just didn't work for me. Like, I know you're supposed to, you know, this is a story about a monster, you know, willing suspension of disbelief. I get that. But I could not get past the fact that none of those kids were supervised ever at any point. <laughs> like, like it's almost as if they didn't have parents. Like, they were out riding their bicycles at all hours of the day and night, and, and the story never addressed, like, hey, are these kids going to get in trouble? Are their parents going to wonder where they are? And I get that wouldn't be as fun, but... I don't know to have to have no attention paid to the obvious logic like that. It kind of got under my skin, and it just bugged me that these kids were basically roaming free and having no <laughs> parental oversight. Because I just didn't feel I was so mm-hmm. beyond what I could what I could reasonably believe would actually happen. There was a little bit of that with the main kids' uh, parents, like and how they would just sort of sneak out and not worry about them and yeah. make sure. Like they they definitely address it some at some point, saying like you know sneak out do this, get away. But they didn't show the other kids' parents that often. Like, we never saw their parents. Uh, we just, yeah. We're just left to assume that they basically did the, the same thing. And, you know, that, that that's that's fair. You don't, want, you don't want to take too much time doing this, that, or the other thing because there's obviously so much else to cover at the same time. Honestly, that never that, – it didn't bug me too much, especially because – 80s. You know? <laughs> Maybe they were less concerned back then. Who knows? Yeah. Um it's the teen storyline that drove me nuts. At least until Fair. they actually got involved with the main plot line. And oh my goodness, like that those first couple episodes, I'm like, why is this teen drama here? I don't care. Yeah. Get away yeah. from it. It is so stereotypical. Oh my I eventually God. warmed up to it because I, I, I did yeah, like I, I initially felt that way about the you know, the teenage romance storyline too, until they got to the point where I don't know, it's interesting the way they present it. It's like all three of those characters in that love triangle are so flawed and messed up in their own ways and mm-hmm. like the story makes it makes you eventually like initially want to root for one guy over the other because one of the guys seems to be such a you know much less of a douchebag mm-hmm. for her than the other guy but then the things kind of change and they're both kind of terrible people and then she does some questionable things and it's like okay so how's this really going to shake out and <laughs> it definitely went in a in a direct for a love triangle story it went in a, in a dire- different direction than i was expecting yeah, a little bit. I mean, it wasn't. It didn't stay t- stereotypical for too long, and I liked what they did with yeah. it. I mean, it, it definitely became more interesting once she got involved in the main plot and didn't have her own exactly little story. Like they were able to weave it more. I, like I understand that they had to set up for it to get her to that point, but yeah. it still kept it interesting. It kept it, uh, you know, engaged at, up to that point. And I really liked how everything came together by the end. Like my favorite part of every episode was the adults. Like Winona Ryder uh-huh. and uh, uh, oh, I'm trying to think Hooper, uh, yeah. He, like those two, or Hopper, were, Hooper, Hopper. Uh, Hopper, 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 Hopper. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were so good. Like I was enthralled every time, and like I think Hopper punched out half the government. <laughs> <laughs> right, I know he was great. He, he did that sucker punch maneuvers so many times. Yeah, he did. It's ridiculous, and oh my gosh, you could just like Winona Ryder was just acting her heart out as Joyce uh, with every time with, with her son and the state of that house as time went on it just was crazy like it was it was definitely engaging and I'm I, I'm I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't excited for season two 
Uh, especially no, I am too. Seeing the new trailers, seeing what their new threat seems to be, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm down for this. I'm, I'm kind of like that because I I enjoy the Cthulhu myth, myth, mythos, and that's not quite the, the range I'm seeing here, but somewhat uh-huh. close to that. I'm like, okay, I'm down. Yeah, no, me too, and I, and I I like the almost Silent Hill-ish quality that the, the monster design has. Like, it feels very Silent Hill-ish and kind of just eldritchy and messed up, and mm. I love stuff like that, so I, I love the monster design, and I agree. I, now, I don't know if there's been a new Stranger Things 2 trailer, but I saw the initial Stranger oh, Things Oh, you haven't seen trailer. the brand new one that came out like a week or so ago. No, I haven't. Oh, wow. So I gotta watch that, but I've seen the original, and, you know, my wife and I both, like, we were gonna watch it anyway, and we were like, you know, we liked it enough, we definitely wanna watch it. But man, what a great trailer. And the music choice for the at least the initial Stranger Things 2 trailer was so good. Like, that is one of the best or most well-edited trailers I think I've ever seen. Okay. I've not seen the initial one. I only saw the more recent uh, one because... Okay. You know, I, I got to go check that out then. I figured as much. I don't remember a music choice, but it was definitely more plot-heavy. I was like, I'm glad I waited until I finished the series until watching this because they, you know, address some of the cliffhangers from that first season. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, good thing I did not like, oh, I wonder what this is all about since people are so excited. I might not have understood half of it, but... You know, it wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't have had those. Mo- I would have had those moments ruined for me for me when they actually did happen. So, right. Yep. Uh, I also actually watched something else on Netflix. Uh, Patton Oswalt's new comedy special went up on there, and oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know how much he watches stand up. I don't watch it too much, uh, but I was curious because obviously in the past year his wife passed away. And I was very curious how he's going to uh, handle that. And he's one of the few people I also follow, few celebrities, I should say, that I follow on Twitter. I find him really engaging. I like his style of humor. And he, he, I don't know, he's a fun, he, he seems like a good guy. And he has some really great jokes in his Netflix comedy special. Uh, there's some really good stuff in there that had me in tears. But then, you know, he gets into his wife stuff and it's, it's some very real raw moments in there like it just gives you a, a insight of just exactly what he was dealing with and i really loved um this thing he was talking about because his wife was a true crime writer and uh, everything else and she you know she was very much aware of the bad things that happens in the world and she just had this thing that she would always say where it's uh <clears throat> where she constantly repeat where it's um it's chaos be kind it's chaos yeah. kind and I'm like that's beautiful like I, I just like that yeah. is that is so beautiful and I I definitely got a lot of laughs out of it and it, it felt like a healing process for him you know like processing a lot of this telling about how he's dealing with his daughter and everything else like it was it was a, it was a good comedy special and I don't watch a lot of comedy specials to be honest yeah, I mean I'm, I'm just gonna have to take your word for it it's just a thing with me I, I don't doubt that he's incredibly funny and talented I just, I'm not a stand-up comic guy. I never have been. Like, no matter who it is, friends have tried to get me to watch various stand-up comics over the years. Every single time, I just can't, I can only think about anything I'd rather be doing out instead. <laughs> like, I just don't find, it's not that I don't find them funny. I just don't, I don't want to sit down and watch somebody stand up on stage and be funny. Not that I, I would never judge people who love that. That's cool. A lot of people love stand-up comics, but... I just it doesn't do it for me. I don't know. It just it never has. So I'd certainly take your word for it that it was a great special. And of course, my heart goes out to him. I literally cannot even imagine the thought of losing your wife or your husband. I can't even. Oh my god. But so I'm glad it seems that he's been able to you know have that sort of healing process through his comedy routine. But yeah, I just I can't get down with stand up comics. I just don't find them interesting for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
I like story. I like stories, and like you know, I don't yeah. need the rapid fire type stuff. I would like, like build up to a story or stuff like that. That's when you really get into. Uh, That's true. The, those type, those type of comics. But uh, then again, one of my favorites, uh, and he passed away before he could do anything really else. But he, his few co- those few specials he did put out were just amazing. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, who was just full of non sequiturs. <laughs> That's yeah. That was his whole bit. Like it was. It was. Um, so good like one of, I, there's a few that stand out to me but uh, one that uh, just as a quick example um, it's like uh, Solo Wino eating grapes I'm like dude you gotta wait it's <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just stupid stuff like that yeah yeah <laughs> you know just just the way he delivered it and whatnot. it was it was it was, it was a uh, pretty entertaining bit but I totally get not getting I don't watch stand up specials that often myself but I also don't actively seek them out so. Well, I gotta say, if ever there is a time that I would naturally get into stand-up comedy, it would probably be right now, and it may yet happen, just because you know <laughs> the, the realism. Are, yeah, you have to with our with the political situation being what it is, and things just being so bad right now. You gotta laugh. You gotta find things to laugh at. So maybe this is the time for me to find some, uh, you know, some appropriate <laughs> commentators, some some uh, you know stand-up comics that are gonna joke about things the way I would just because it's so hard right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, you might dig it then I don't know maybe give it yeah. give it a little watch I mean it's free on Netflix so you already have yeah, it yeah might as well yeah exactly it doesn't hurt anything um, but yeah other than that uh, I did do a go up on a trip to New York uh, right so that was that was a lot of fun and uh, going up there and getting to explore the city more going to the New York uh, Nintendo store uh, checking out more stuff for that. I got myself a plushie of uh, a Halloween mimic you. Like he's dressed up as nice. a scarecrow and it's adorable. That's awesome. So I had to get that. Um, and just more stuff like that. They actually – it was really funny. The day I went there, they were having a uh, – they were selling more SNES classics. So I got there oh, nice. and there's these this large – this huge line. I'm like, what's going on here? And then uh, there's like SNES classic. I'm like, oh, so basically at 2 o'clock that day they were going to start selling them, but people had lined up starting as early as like 7, 8 o'clock. Jeez. Yeah. And it was not, a, not exactly a uh, warm day. I mean not freezing, but not exactly warm. <laughs> so uh-huh. uh, they were definitely uh, dedicated to it and uh, you know all the luck to them. But it, it sounds like they got a pretty decent shipment in, but you know, I mean especially in New York, there's going to be a lot more demand <laughs> from that one well, store. Two annoyances about this. One, I'm super annoyed that all three of us were in New York and even at, at the Nintendo New York store within the last couple of weeks, but on different days. Like, yeah. we were so close to all hanging out together in New York. Mm-hmm. And then Andre and I went a week before you for the championships, and then you went for the press event. The other thing is that when Andre and I went, it was freaking hotter there than it has been in LA. I can't get away from it. Now you say it was like it was, you know, it wasn't the hottest day, but it wasn't, you know, kind of cool. No, when we were there, it was like in the 90s. And I'm like, what, what? the hell? It's heck? like I never left LA. Like what the hell is this? That's weird. When I was up there, it was like in it's in the 50s. Oh, I'm so mad. See, I'm just so annoyed. I I don't want to do the rest of the podcast. I'm done. Oh, I'm, you're done. I'm, All I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but uh, did you did you catch that awesome SNES Classic display on the second floor? Yes, it was so they, cool. Oh, it had all the different so games good. and yeah. everything set up. Even a copy of Earthbound, and you uh-huh. you could tell that like they got some of these used because they had like oh, stickers uh, yeah. and stuff on some of them. It was great. I tried to get a picture. Cardboard, yeah, yeah. I I tried to get a picture, but they had the way the lighting was. It just made it come out terrible. So, yeah, I had the same problem. 
But yeah, I just love all the like the title cards they had. I guess they were like laminate or like cardboard title cards of each game's title screen mm-hmm. next to the cart, the cartridge. And I just thought that was a really cool display. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I it's, it's, definitely get out there if you if you can get to New York, check out the Nintendo store. It's always worthwhile. Um, yeah. Another thing that I, I I definitely want to try check out more. I accidentally walked walked by it because I had seen it the first time, but I forgot where it was. Uh, and I accidentally walked by it on my way back to the train station uh, this time around, which is the no- Yoshinoya Bookstore. Oh, um, oh, uh, Yoshinoya, Yoshinoya. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that's how it's pronounced. Are you sure it's not it's not Kinokuniya? Oh, that might be it. Yeah, because Yoshinoya is the beef bowl place. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's I got mixed <laughs> I up. Like, yeah, I got it mixed up. Yeah, Kinokuya or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. I walked by there, and I've been there once before. I didn't I didn't have time to go in this time, but I'm like I'm like thinking to myself, you know. Might be I might have to sacrifice Nintendo World, uh, the Nintendo Store the next time I come up here, um, and uh, instead go to this place and see, you know, all the anime stuff, all, all the anime stuff that they have there. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. There, there are so many. Yeah, like there. I don't know if I walked by that one specifically, but there are so many little just hole in the wall places when you're walking around New York like if you've ever mm. been there you couldn't possibly it's just there's so many oh, God, places yeah. to go and it gets crazy it's it's absolutely nuts oh it is and I walked by like a I, I saw like a Pikachu a Pikachu display and I'm like okay is this just some sort of random thing being like yay or uh, no I actually looked inside and it was a huge used game store and I was I was like oh that's cool again I was walking back to the train station at that point so I um, did, didn't uh, didn't have time to really take a close look, but I did find uh, Final Fantasy VI Advance on nice. uh, on there, and I'm like, uh-huh. and I was like, just uh, just as a comparison price, like, I have no idea how much it's, it's it costs normally, but it, this felt overpriced to me, sixty bucks for just the cartridge. That's a little much. I mean, I guess it's pretty rare, but that is a lot. I don't for know, just a GBA cartridge. That seems overpriced to me. I don't know. I didn't get a, yeah. t- a look at other stuff that might have been there, but it was also like there's. Just stuffed with games. Um, you know what's so funny is that like the idea of like super rare, super pricey, you know, old classic games. That's very much an American thing. Like you go to Japan and you go to most, you know, like Akihabara or even other used game stores, you can find even the the most popular classics like Super Famicom cartridges of Chrono Trigger for like a few hundred yen or like a twelve hundred yen. Really? Like that's not like ten bucks. Like you know, now boxed copies may run you a little more, but not. 8,000 yen. Like, I got box copies of uh, FF4, 5, and 6 last time I was in Japan, uh, all sealed. And they were probably like 20 to 15 bucks a pop. That's insane. And I'm just like, what? And at first I was like, Are, is this only the box? Like, am I not buying the game? No, it's both. And I'm like, how does that make sense? <laughs> so yeah. it's very much an, an American thing. Maybe a European thing, too. It may just be a Western thing. I'm not, I don't know much about the used game situation in Europe, but at least in, in America, that is definitely, like, it's really only that expensive for us. Yeah, it was, it was something else, I'll say that much, yeah. but it was, it's way too much. But I, I enjoy walking around New York. It's uh, just kind of chill. It's always really cool to people watch and see what's going on, and uh, there's always something to look at. <laughs> and especially because where I usually end up, I'm walking right past Times Square, so, you know, seeing the the tourist spot spot right off the bat (laughs) see it's funny and i probably mentioned this before but i guess you know because it's in my dna but also just because i'm so used to city life in la 
I can't stand being in New York. Like, whenever I got to go, I want to get in and get out as fast as I can. It's cool the first few times for a cultural experience, absolutely, and I think everyone should go at least once. But, man, when it comes right down to it, I just want to get back to L.A. There's, even though they're both major tentpole cities in America, they could not be more different. Oh, no, they're totally how different. They, yeah, they're so different. It's not like, oh, all American cities are the same. No, not at all. New York mm-hmm. and L.A. are so different. And I just – I'm used to L.A. life. I can't deal with New York. Mm. I don't mind New York. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Me no, that makes me. sense. But, yeah. I mean, I'm not seeing all of New York. There's a lot of New York to see, but – Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, have you been playing any other games or is that pretty much it? I have a little bit. I mean, in my spare time, of course, you know, I'm working a lot. But I did actually manage to start Uncharted The Lost Legacy because oh, I've nice. heard it was really short. And I wanted to try to fit it in before Mario Odyssey. Because, you know, it's like one of those games where I wanted to play it. I've been excited for it, but it just kind of quietly came out while I was playing a billion other things. So it's like, okay, this is significantly shorter than Uncharted 4. Let's try to fit this in. And so far, I'm having a great time. I just got to Chapter 5. I don't know how many chapters there are, but it's a, it's another great Uncharted game, and it seems to be much more well paced than Uncharted Four so far. Like, oh, you know, I liked Four, but but its pacing was probably my main problem with it. Mm-hmm. And Lost Legacy, I'm having a great time. Chloe and Nadine make a great duo. I love their banter back and forth. They, you know, and you kind of see how they slowly become friends, and you know, they're kind of standoffish at the beginning, but they slowly warm up to one another. Mm-hmm. And some of the conversations they have, just you know, they kind of reveals what makes them both tick. And some of the best conversations are when they very kind of sarcastically talk to each other about the Drake brothers. It's like, you know, why did you get involved with them? Like, God, Nate's so annoying. He's such a jerk. How could you possibly, you know, like, like, uh, it's not really a spoiler, but Nadine teases Chloe in one conversation. She's like, so what's the deal with you and Nate? And she's like, oh, you know, we had a thing. And she's like, why? He's, he's so sure of himself and he thinks he's so funny. How could you stand that? And I'm just sitting here just laughing because it's so true. Nate is such a douchebag. And it's so funny to hear the two of them talk about him like that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a really it's it's probably made more for uncharted fans, but it's a great standalone game. Mm. It's something I definitely want to pick up at some point, especially cuz it would be just a quick set, you know. Not Exactly. Not and plus, long. you know, to no one's surprise, of course, but I, it has to be said, the graphics. Oh my god. Like Naughty Dog, man. Those artists, those technical artists and and oh my god. I don't know how they make these games look <laughs> as good as they do, but you know, it Uncharted 4 looked incredible, and Lost Legacy looks similarly incredible, and it just is insane how good it looks. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to play it at some point. I don't know when, but sometime. <laughs> yeah, it's has got to fit it in. I mean, again, I, I still want to go back and fit near Automata in before the year ends, but there, I knew there was no way I'd be able to get that done before. Uh, I Martin, still want to so. try to finish Persona 5 before the year ends. I know, ends. <laughs> and I haven't even touched Persona. I don't have um, Persona 5 because I knew I wouldn't have time, but yeah, like I'm desperately trying to pro- get in everything I can. People are probably so sick of me saying, like, I, I want to play Persona 5, but... Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, just like people yeah. are getting sick of me saying, i got to finish Horizon. No, you're not going to finish it. No, I did. And I'm ready for the Frozen Wilds, which also comes out the same day as, like, Sonic Forces and uh, probably... Name six other, other games, games yeah. I want to play. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, mm. just more, you know, as always, too much stuff to play, but uh, this is a good part problem to have, right? Yeah, it, it seems to be, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just, oh, I guess the other thing I would... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, just need the time, but go ahead. Yeah, the other thing I would mention is, again, because it's just so much happening at once... I completely forgot that uh, Sigma, Monster Hunter, and Black Panther came out for NBC Infinite on Tuesday. And I, you know, I think a lot of people didn't really notice because NBC Infinite isn't exactly lighting up the sales charts. 
Um, but, you know, I got the character pass along with the, uh, the collector's edition Capcom sent us. And so I downloaded them and kind of took them for a spin. God, they nailed Sigma. Like, again, they nailed X. Of course, they already had Zero and Three. But they nailed Sigma, and they've got now you've got X Zero and Sigma in the same game, and all of them feel authentic. And Sig- I got to give special props to Sigma's voice actor, whoever they got for him. I don't know his name yet, but he goes all in. They did the research; like he has lines from X Four, like specific voice lines that you know they re-recorded for X Four, like things he would say before fights in that game. And he sounds like Sigma should. And I can't tell you as a Mega Man X fan how cool it is to me. That they're just they nailed it. They he has moves from across various games. He says things that he says in the other games. Like it's great. Like I'm super happy with how Sigma turned out. And and uh, I would I assume I've heard from other people that Monster Hunter is really cool too. Like her move set is very authentic. And and but I just wouldn't know because I don't play Monster Hunter games. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So the first three DLC characters came out uh, for NBC Infinite, and then the next three I think come out next month. Okay. But it's kind of weird. Because they did for they're doing four Marvel characters and two Capcom characters this year. So many, so much about this game's planning and rollout has been strange. But essentially, mm. going into next year, there are going to be four new Marvel characters, but only two new Capcom characters. Very strange. Yeah, I, I don't quite get it. I mean, it's it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, Sigma's awesome, and mm. if you have the game and haven't downloaded it yet, and you're a Mega Man X fan, you're going to be happy. Any cool dialogue between him and X and Zero? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, yeah, when it's funny when uh, when certain characters, when you depending on the order you pick them in on the character select screen, they'll have different things to say about the character they're going to be fighting with. Mm-hmm. So, like if you pick zero, or if you pick X and then pick zero, he'll be he'll go like, "Yeah, this will work." Like he's happy about it. But then if you pick uh, Sigma and then you pick X, X goes, "I don't like these orders." But I'll follow them. <laughs> it's like, it's so, and then if you pick Sigma X first and then Sigma, he's like. X, this should be interesting, or something like that. Like, they do have that kind of interaction. Yeah. It's really cool. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. That's really cool. Uh, Yeah. I can can dig that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the news for this week. And I actually just thought of it as we were talking about uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy, uh, because I forgot to write this down um, as part of our news subjects, but I wanted to put this out here first so we didn't forget. Um, Visceral has been shut down by EA. Oh, right. Yes. That, that did happen this week. Yes. Uh, it, it happened while, uh, while, while I was away at New York. I got online and saw them. Like, well, that sucks. And it made me think of a uh, Jim Sterling, uh, Jimquisition episode where he was talking about how EA just sucks in all these studios and all this talent and then just demolishes them. There's so many yeah. dead studios based around them and even Bioware seems to be on that traje- trajectory based on a lot, their last few games like you hope they're going to hang in there but you don't know and uh, Visceral yeah. had I, I enjoyed I really enjoyed Dead Space 1 and 2 did not play Dead Space 3 because of all the microtransaction crap and how it messed with yeah. things and you know I don't know why you put them on Battlefield Hardline but then and here's the part that's really going to hurt especially for you because I don't know if you know this as much um Visceral's the next game they were working on was a single player, I think, action adventure Star Wars game. Oh, okay. Here's the I thing. mean, that doesn't really affect me all that much. It, but do- it doesn't. Still- Here's the thing that affects you Amy okay. Hennig was do- writing the story, 
and working oh, on the game okay. from Naughty Dog. That would have been pretty sick then. Yeah, so, but that was pretty good then. So you got the penny, the pedigree of Amy Hennig from Naughty Dog working with Visceral, who does very good on action games for a Star Wars game. It was a dream come true for a lot of people. And he's, EA took a look and I was like, nah, we don't want that. We're going to shut out the studio and take the game in a different direction. Man, that's too big. A- Amy Hennig, she can't get a break, huh? No, it's unfortunate. Oh, man, it, it sucks so much because I was... As soon as I heard she was part of the project, like, all right, I'm interested. Yeah. I want to know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, again, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a very much a casual Star, Star Wars fan, so it doesn't affect me in that sense. But I would love to play any new game written by Amy Hinnick. But of course, regardless of whether I played their games or not, and I didn't really. I mean, I'm I'm looking at a list of everything they made now, and it's all very familiar: Dead Space, The Sims, you know, things like that. Not really my thing. However, it's never good when a developer goes out of business; people lose their jobs. So, of course, you know. All my condolences and best wishes to anyone affected out there who lost their job. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just such a shame because they were they had a lot of promise, and then the EA screwed them over with their business practices. Yeah, no, I mean, it really, and it's yeah, it's it's as you said, it's a pattern with EA, and it really is too bad because it's just that that ultimately means less games overall, and you know, less diverse people making games, mm. and you know, less companies. So. Yeah, it's never a good thing when a when a studio is shuttered, and I hope the uh, people affected all find new jobs at other studios. Yep, let's hope so. But, yeah. But going on to the actual planned news topics for this week, first <laughs> up is the Switch has actually sold 2 million units in the U.S. so far, according to Nintendo. They've reached the 2 million mark in the United States alone. And uh, they also... Uh, claimed two-thirds of September video game hardware sales uh, for the month of September. Yep. That is... it's Yeah, everything's coming up roses for the Switch. I mean, I I know recently we were talking about, too, how the uh, Switch was outselling the PS4 week week on week in Japan as well. I don't know if that's still true, but it was Mm -hmm. for a while. And, yeah, I mean, really... Nintendo could not have... This is exactly the way they wanted this to go. They could not have asked for a better underdog turnaround success stories going from you know on the top to the Wii to the bottom with the Wii U and mm-hmm. maybe not the top with the Switch but they're heading up there they may you know whether they make it or not I don't know but even if they don't they're going to be a they're going to be up there along with Sony and they're not going to be playing second fiddle oh yeah and I mean the, between their for their hardware sales it was you know of course the Switch and then the 3DS as well as the SNES Classic so they're doing something right here. I mean, of course, the SNES Classic, Classic is going to give you, give you a bit of a buffer for uh, the, for September, but still, that is excellent news for Nintendo. Like they are just on fire with this stuff. It just, it'd be nice to see even more supplies for. I mean, and they're doing. They seem to be doing better with the SNES Classic. I wouldn't mind to see some more out there, just so I can again yeah. hope to get my nephews their own SNESs. But we'll see. Well, and not only that, but it makes you wonder, like you know. This is, I mean, these sales are are really impressive in a vacuum, and they're great news for Nintendo, but it does make you wonder, in context, how many more could they have sold if they didn't have <laughs> supply issues? You know, if they had actually kept the Switch in stock fully, yeah. how many more could they have sold? I mean, there's still lines going around blocks in Japan. People are lining up for the chance to win one, to, like, to win the chance yeah, to buy one. do the raffle. That's how crazy it is. It's oh, like yeah. they're waiting in lines for a chance to buy a Switch. Unfortunately, we're not. We don't seem to be having that issue in the United States anymore. Like, I I've, doesn't seem so. I've told this story a few times already, but I did go into a Walmart a few about a month ago now, I'd say, uh, and saw three switches on the shelf. Uh, one for the normal pack, and then two for the Splatoon uh, uh, box set. Right. <laughs> so, 
Uh, yeah, and I mean, with Odyssey coming out and with Odyssey being one of those uh, pack-ins for the system, that's a good sign for Nintendo. Like, this is... Yeah. Like, I have a feeling just based on the hype and everything going on, I mean, we've already seen super huge attach rates for both uh, for Switch owners and Zelda and Splatoon 2 already. Uh, at least in Japan for Splatoon 2. I see the same thing happening with Mario Odyssey. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, since no, I've heard... No doubt. Especially since I've heard people saying they they were holding off on getting a Switch until Odyssey was coming out. So this, yeah. this thing's going to be a major holiday uh, win, <laughs> you know, for Nintendo. Oh, no, yeah. I can't wait to see what the sales figures look like because, I mean, you know, I mean... I. Obviously, I'm not the biggest Xbox fan, but I'm, I'm trying to look at this from, from as neutral a stance as possible. I don't think Microsoft has done a very good job convincing people oh. why they need to buy an Xbox One X. Holy crap, I completely forgot the, what Xbox One X is coming <laughs> out already? Exactly. Out? Is it already No, it's out? coming out. It's okay. not out yet. It's coming out next month, I believe, but that's like... I feel like the Switch is just going to absolutely demolish it, Just and specifically Xbox One X. Maybe mm-hmm. not Xbox One all you know the entire yeah. Xbox One family. Maybe maybe it will. I don't know, but I just don't feel like Nintendo or uh, Microsoft's done a great job messaging why or giving people you know good reasons to get an Xbox One X. Whereas there are a million reasons to get a Switch now if you haven't. Yeah, I I I have no idea. Like I said, I for I completely forgot about the <laughs> One X. Completely yeah. forgot. A lot, I think a lot of people have. I did, they haven't been message like they showed it at E three and then I've seen very little messaging about it. Well, and the thing is, it's like, the, you know, the Xbox One X may technically be the most powerful console in the market once it comes out, but it's not as if Microsoft's first-party situation is any better than it was, or any better than it has been for the past, like, two years. Like, Cuphead is awesome, and I've been playing that too, but I don't even turn on my Xbox aside from, like, Cuphead. I still want to play Ori, but it's not as if the Xbox One X is launching with this incredible slate of must-have Xbox exclusives. It's not. Yeah. At all. It's just a ton of really good small games. Yeah, and nothing... or you know, games that take advantage of the extra power the, of the Xbox One X, but they're games that most, I would say, I would venture to say, most Xbox fans have already played. Yeah. So it's like it would be like it would be. I mean, I guess we had similar criticisms about Sony launching the PS4 Pro without you know a compelling reason to buy a Pro specifically. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they were already on top when they did that. Microsoft isn't on top right now. They yeah. haven't been on top for years. And, and Sony's also had the uh, has the advantage of exclusives. Sony does yeah. have exclusive exactly. things, things that people want to get on that system. And yeah, Xbox One, I like I'm like it's just the typical uh, the the usual suspects at this point every yeah. time. And I like hope for their sake, see if these does well, like because that has potential. But I'm trying to think of another exclusive beyond you know Project. Uh, no, what is it? I forget. Forza, Forza, Forza. Is that? Oh, for yeah. Well, Forza Seven just came out, mm-hmm. and Horizon Three has been out, and it's fantastic. But again, it's it, it just doesn't feel as if Microsoft is really shoring up that their first party efforts all that well. And apparently, Halo Six is still years off, and people aren't really all that happy with Halo, the status of Halo as a franchise in general. Mm-hmm. You know, the Master Chief Collection was riddled with problems from what I from what I heard, and Halo Five was quite divisive from what I understand. It certainly wasn't a crowd pleaser. So, my, yeah, my friends and I, yeah. I have I have a certain friend I've played co-op with with every single Halo game. Yeah. And we couldn't do that with Halo 5. So we said, really? Yeah, because there's no local co-op in Halo 5. They got rid of it. Now, it's going to be back in Halo 6 because so many people, so many people complained. Mm-hmm. But that's been a tradition. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. And and to be perfectly clear, I'm not. You know, we're not saying this as like you know Nintendo fans who are game explainers. No, like I've got a 360 at launch, and the vast majority, or not the vast majority, but for the first half, I would say maybe first 60 percent of that generation, all of my multi-platform gaming was done on my Xbox 360. I didn't get a PS3 until well into the generation because. Sony fell flat in their face with the PS3's launch. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not just sitting up here in our Nintendo thrones going like, oh, Microsoft, we don't care about Xbox. <laughs> no, I played my 360 all the time, but they're, they're, they just, they've lost so much ground now to Nintendo and Sony. Yeah, I, don't, I honestly, I'm not sure what they can do to get it back. They just... I don't know. <laughs> at this point, I really don't know. I mean, it, it, and it's not like, I mean, we can all be very honest here. The, Sony made a major misstep with the PlayStation 3 when it first came out and they had to really work hard to recover yeah. because just because the system was so hard to develop for so it made their the the multi-platform titles you know kind of lesser on the system because they couldn't take advantage of it uh, despite right. the, despite its power but then they I don't know they turned it around they finally got those exclusives going made it more interesting got it back on there and started getting getting their footing back and they came back, of course, in a hard way with PS4, and it seems like Microsoft fell into that same trap uh, as Sony did with the PS3, where they just got so overconfident, like, yeah, yeah. we're pretty great, you guys are going to, you know, just automatically want to get this system, and no. <laughs> yeah, and then the difference there seems to be that Microsoft seems to have really struggled to kind of make that ground back up and kind of, you know, pick themselves back up and, and learn from it, because they just, you know, they canceled uh, Scalebound, and then... As far as I know, there haven't really been any major first-party announcements from them. Like, okay, here's your next big Xbox game that you have to play, either first-party internally or, you know, second-party, like a second-party situation like with Platinum Games and Scalebound. But no, nothing. Like, nothing. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, they they, they canceled uh, Scalebound and said they had such a lo- huge lineup, and nope. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you know, and that's that, not to say, of course, the Xbox One X versions of third-party multi-platform games are going to look best. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, but, that's for sure. But unless you are the most the geekiest of tech geeks, how much do you really care about the power differential between a PS4 Pro and an Xbox One X? Yeah, you know? and as somebody who doesn't even have a 4K TV, I don't care about the power differential at all. Yeah, well, and even as someone, I don't either, but, you know, I have been able to see appreciable differences even on a 1080p screen having my PS4 Pro. I actually ended up not regretting my PS4 Pro purchase at all, even though I very famously came out against it. I was like, this is so dumb. Why why even? Then I got one for FF15, and I'm like, crap, this enhances so many games, even on a 1080p screen. So I'm not I'm not against the idea of it, but the, P- the PS4 Pro is already out, and the library is mm-hmm. totally equal with what Xbox has. But with way of better exclusives and a much longer list of exclusives. Yeah. Unless again you are a diehard Halo or Gears of War fan, then fine, I get it. But otherwise, I don't really understand the draw. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's there's diehard fans, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. And for them, I totally get it. Yeah. I'm I'm just glad that Microsoft with their whole scale bound thing didn't uh, inadvertently or maybe. I don't know. Didn't inadvertently kill Platinum Games because of the, the hit they took from Scalebound and all that work. Uh, thank God for Near Automata. <laughs> oh right. Plus, well, not and not to mention, it sounds like if uh, you know if if their teasing is to be believed, it sounds like Platinum's going to get right up uh, right up in that Switch money and get some mm-hmm. ports and possibly new games on the Switch. So I think they're going to be fun. Hey, Bayonetta on the go. I'm down. Oh right. Yeah, Bayonetta one and two combo pack on the go. I'm there. Oh yeah, I totally get it. I'd rebuy yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, goodness. I'm not sure how we went from a Switch selling 2 million units to an Xbox discussion, but I found it interesting at least. Yeah, it was a good one. (laughs) Anyway, our next bit of news is uh, Gen 3 Pokemon are finally starting to arrive in Pokemon Go. We have a Halloween event going on where we have Sableye, Shuppet, um, Duskull, Dusclops, and Shuppet's Evolution, I'm trying, uh, Bennett. Uh, all are, are available on Pokemon Go now to catch, as well as a Witch Hat Pikachu. So they're still supporting it in that way. And then come December, we'll start seeing even more Gen 3 Pokemon uh, hit, the, hit the game. And that's cool. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. that's all I can say again is that's cool. It's I mean, they're, they're slowly getting there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I play Pokemon Go somewhat actively, I would say, well, somewhat well into Gen 2. But it, you know, it's just it got too obnoxious to play because they they this disabled all the trackers, which I wasn't using trackers all the time. But again, like I don't have time to waste as an adult, so mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Pokemon Go when I was able to pinpoint the location of of a Pokemon I'm looking for and not spoof. I'm not going to cheat, but just walk there and do what they want me to do, but just not walk aimlessly. I don't have time for that, and. I feel like the more they've added, it's just gotten more obnoxious to play. I don't really like the gym system or the, you know, what... The raids. Really any, anything about the battles, the raids, I'm just not into it. So mm-hmm. I pretty much basically stopped playing it. Yeah. There, there's, still, there's still some very dedicated players out there, and Gen 3 is yeah. definitely excited for them. So I'm happy for them. But for me, I mean, Gen 2 didn't bring me back in. Gen 3 is not going to do it for me. But I'm just... It's, it's cool that it's still going strong, I suppose. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll launch it just as a like purely out of curiosity. Once all the you know once the Gen three Pokemon in general are out, I'll launch it just to kind of get an idea of which Gen three Pokemon are in my area. Just because I'm curious, you know, I've kind of gotten a sense for exactly which Gen one and two Pokemon are always going to be found in Koreatown, LA. So I'm just kind of mildly curious, you know, like what are going to be in, in Gen three. But other than that, yeah, I'm not going to go out and look for any specific ones or anything. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I guess we should get, get into this one now. We, t- we mentioned it earlier. Um, but yeah, Fire, the Fire Emblem Warriors DLC has been announced. We got three different packs based on Fate, Shadow Dragon, and Awakening. But an Australian listing of uh, on the eShop, the Australian eShop, actually showed what the nine new ca- playable characters will be. And you know how we talked about how Hyrule Warriors like they only focused on three games for the main one but then all the DLC sort of expanded beyond those yeah they're not doing that here (laughs) yeah they're still very much sticking with the characters they had in like I was so positive they would throw in like character from game uh, that like is that sort of works as an NPC at at least at the moment they're just sort of there as an extra character Uh, another character from that game that wasn't seen at all and then Maybe like Ike or Hector or Roy or somebody to that effect to just get in that extra bonus to get people that aren't into these three games in particular excited. And that's not what they're doing. So, yeah. For Fire Emblem Fates, we have Azora, who is you know the main female character from that game, was a conspicuous absence, so it makes sense for her to be in here. And then Niles and Oboro, who, are bo- who both show up in the main game. So that's all to be expected. Uh, Shadow Dragon, there's Navarre, who's again in the game along with Minerva and Lind, who seem like pretty interesting choices. Um, and then with Awakening, we have Owain, who's already in the game, Olivia, which is a very big surprise uh, as a dancer, and then, of course, the fan favorite, Tharja. And here's the thing that makes me even less interested like in this DLC. Most, if I, As I mentioned in my review, if a character has 
uses a certain mode of transportation and a certain weapon, they will play the same, other than their specials and awakening mm-hmm. mode and all that stuff. So, Niles, he's an archer. He's going to play exactly like Sakura and Takumi. Uh, uh, Navar, yeah. uh, apparently he's a, a Mermidian, which is gonna, he's, means he's probably going to play like um, uh, Lynn. Minerva is a dra- uh, axe-wielding dragon rider, or wyvern rider. She's going to play like uh, Camilla. Um, and yeah. Tharja likely play like Robin and uh, and I'm trying to think of the other one on the thing, but basically Robin. I was going to how she's going to play right. Um, so, but there are some that to be ex- excited about as far as new play styles because Oboro, we don't have any people, we don't have any spear, spear wielders uh, that uh, are on the ground, and Azora could play the same way because she used a spear as well. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. So that's that's new. Same with uh, potentially Lind. I'm not sure if she she might be a mage as well. And Olivia is a dancer, so who knows what they'll do with that? But that's a thing that also kills it because I can. Like unlike uh, Hyrule Warriors, I could t- I I you would like oh there's all these possibilities of how they'll be different and make them different yeah. and make them change. With these, I can pr- make a pretty decent guess about how these guys are going to play, and it's not quite as exciting. Yeah. Now I know I completely agree. Now I could be wrong, but I just want to make sure. I, I don't want to disappoint you even more. But I thought <laughs> that that because I just started playing like the first couple hours of the game. I thought that the game defined Lissa as a spear character, and she's on. She her motor transportation is just running around. Uh, no, Lissa is a uh, axe character. Oh, she considered an axe character. Okay, yeah, clearly she, I've only been playing a couple hours, but I was like, oh no, we may, maybe there is an archetype for her already too. <laughs> nope. But uh, yeah, no, I, I actually didn't know. So are is am I to take this to mean that Sakura and Takumi play the same, yep. even though they're both? That sucks. Mm-hmm. Now the the, wow. the the differences are their stats and like sure. so for example uh, Sakura has some really great resistance poor defense Takumi's yeah. the opposite uh, but they but they play the same except for their specials yep that's really disappointing mm. after Hyrule Warriors because I mean I could be wrong but I feel like literally every character in Hyrule Warriors was original and and had a different base mm. of moves to work from yep I think it's because they put in so many characters at once that they just didn't take had the yeah. time to make them all feel unique. Now, the, the exceptions to these are the sword characters. Like, some of them play the same. Like, Lucina and Krom, they play the same. Um, uh-huh. And same with the twins, the, the main twins, of course. But that's to be expected, because right. you can pick either or. Um, but Wayne, he might play different, uh, because the thing is, uh, Ryoma plays very different. Uh, Marth plays very different. But I, as from what I'm hearing, Salika plays like Marth. So again, there's already a clone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Mm-hmm. That's, that's is, huh. that is an issue. Now it isn't just characters you get in this. You get history. You get three new history mode maps, which means that's a lot of new gameplay there. Uh, there's usually about twenty to twenty-five battles per history mode map, so that you'll have missions that way. So you can imagine about seventy-ish, sixty to seventy-ish new uh, missions for each one, along with mm. five new costumes and something called broken armor models. So I guess they're. Yeah. I guess imagine like Fire Emblem Heroes, where they're all beat up and that kind of thing. That's my best guess. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, and to be fair, all that for 20 bucks, which that is a lot yeah. for only 20 bucks. There I mean, is you know, a lot. Easily spend, yeah. There is a lot, even if a lot of the characters are cloney. You know, 20 bucks. If it was like 40 bucks, I'd be like, wait a minute. But, like, I feel like 20 bucks is actually a kind of a. Even if it's not the DLC I really wanted, mm-hmm. 20 bucks is a fair price for all the content you're getting. That is yeah. a lot of stuff. But my hope is that we'll get, kind of like Hyrule Warriors, we'll get a second DLC wave. 
that really does just focus on fan favorites, like get <laughs> Ike in there, get Roy in there, you know, get basically Hector in there, all these characters that people really do want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would be the major hope. And you know, again, like you said, twenty dollars isn't bad. But another thing I've seen people focus on is that uh, technically, Niles or Burrow, uh, Navarre, and Owain are already in the game. Yeah. Uh, that's four characters already in the game. All their stats are in there. They just need to make them basically like, yeah. you're playable now. <laughs> so No, and that's kind of shady. Like, I mean, especially after, again, Hyrule Warriors did the DLC thing so right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm going to get it because, you know, coverage and all that. So we'll see how it mm-hmm. all ends up. Maybe maybe I'll be wrong. I'm, I'm so hoping I'll be wrong and they'll actually have these guys play in different ways. But I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Well, and hey, I mean, hell, if I if I get that much playtime out of it, I'll drop twenty bucks on the you know the season pass. Just because, I mean, I'm lucky because I didn't have to pay for it, so I'm I'm super you know fortunate. In <laughs> oh, that I mean, sense, I'm but, in the same way. Well, actually, I did have to pay yeah. for it because I bought the Japanese version. <laughs> oh, right, right. But yeah, I mean, if, hey, if I get you know enough pl- enjoyment out of it, I don't mind dropping twenty bucks mm-hmm. on even if they're cloning characters, all that new content. You know, if if I feel I, I feel like I I'm not going to have gotten to the point where I feel like I've exhausted the game by the time the DLC's out, but. <laughs> If I somehow do, sure, why not? Yeah, I'm seeing there's 12... I mean, in total, there'll be 12 new costumes, uh, 13 new weapons, and... uh, Let's see, (laughs) I'm doing math in my head. Uh, Apologies there, 22. Like, 32 new broken armor uh, models, which I think means a broken armor model for every single character. Huh, okay. Well, that is a lot of stuff. So, yep. So, we'll see how it all goes, but that's... We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up is, uh, continuing with the whole Switch thing, uh, theme for this week, is uh, it has been updated to version 4.0, which you actually already mentioned early, uh, during your little update. So, uh, right. the big thing, of course, is the video recording, as well as um, the change, uh, the, the allowing you to use headsets. Now, I'm likely not going to use the 30 second video recording that often unless something really cool happens but typically I'm playing a game ahead of release so I can't really post that anyway (laughs) (laughs) exactly though I gotta say I mean I felt the same way and I generally still do but I did get on uh, Mario Kart 8 last night to play with with a buddy or two friends actually we play online sometimes and at least twice last night I had cool moments like laugh out loud moments where you're all just like oh that was hilarious and I saved the video and I'm like oh I can do that now and that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, just in a general sense, we talked about this in our discussion uh, earlier about it. But just, I'm just glad that Nintendo, that we are looking at a Nintendo that thinks about those things now. That like we have a Nintendo that is doing better with keeping up with the times and just you know having you know, having an eye toward modernizing themselves. And we now have video recording on a Nintendo console, which again only 30 seconds, but that may get extended. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But it's just cool at, conceptually that Nintendo is doing stuff like that now. Yeah, they're they're definitely making the system better, and that's always to be appreciated. Um, I, I I like what they're doing there, and yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't see myself using the recording much, and I don't see myself using the headset much, but it's great for those that will use it. So I can't yeah. I mean, like as we've said many many times, more options are never a bad thing. Yeah, exactly, and and I'd be curious to see. I, I, I definitely heard a little buzz about the whole headphone thing more than I was expecting because I didn't. I, apparently, it was already found out on Reddit uh, that you could use the PlayStation wireless headphones before I tried it. So it was a bit nice surprise to me. But yeah, I just I just I like easy or or seemingly simple easy quality of life updates that let you just use what already what you already have lying around to increase your utility of the system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. 
Good old Nintendo. We'll see what else they add. Uh, they update. Uh, my my personal hope is that they restructure the eShop and make it a little easier to find stuff. But we'll we'll see what they do. I want version 5.0, and I want the only addition to be eShop Music. I want that to be the entire <laughs> version number. <laughs> you should be excited about this. I I guess yeah. I also also should mention that they do allow systems transfer now. Right, which, which is, is actually kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. That's a, that, yeah. that now if you anything happens to your Switch, you can save the data from it, and you you know you can get it to a new one. So yeah, that, which is really nice. That's a very good feature to have. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, the last bit of news we have this week, and there's a lot of something people uh, at least brought to my attention quite a bit. Um, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle is coming to the Switch, uh, which is the big crossover between Blaze Blue characters, Persona characters from the fighting games uh, that they <laughs> same you know the fighting game uh, versions I assume, and um, R uh, Ruby R W B Y, as well as some other game that I've never heard of before. Um, yeah, basically just all these different characters coming into one as a big crossover uh, 2D fighting game from um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the names, but uh, Arc System works, I believe. Yeah, Arc oh, System Arc works. System, yeah. Yeah, Arc yeah. System, the same you know, Blaze, they did Blaze Blue, they did Persona, so it's a great crossover and it's really cool that this game is coming to the Switch. That's, that's great to have more fighting games and it seems like a great choice to have on the go, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I don't. I don't have a whole lot of personal history with uh, the series. By the way, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have always been told for some reason that the Z in the name is silent. So I've always been taught to say Blay Blue. I don't know if that's I, true. I, I have no idea. I've I heard. Have no idea. I've, I've heard, heard Blaz Blue. Yeah, I've heard Blah yeah. Blue. Yeah, Blay Blue, Blaz <laughs> yeah. Blue. I always call it Blaze Blue because that sounds okay. the coolest to me. That it does actually, but either way, my my history with the series, I don't have a, a whole lot of it. But mm. I, you know, when I was seeing that this news is, you know, the news coming out about it coming to the Switch, I saw the character art for you from Persona Four, and I'm like, wait, Persona Four characters are in this? Uh-huh. And then I look it up, and I'm like, Yosuke and Chie are in there as well. And yep. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to play this now <laughs> because I actually really liked the, the Persona Four Arena games. Like, mm. I wasn't good at them, but they were the kind of games, actually, much like Marvel Infinite, where they make it very easy for scrubs like myself to do really cool-looking, screen-flashy stuff. And the the Persona 4 Arena games are great at that, and I just love the Persona 4 cast in general. So Mm -hmm. I kind of want to play this now, just to see how you, Yosuke, and Chie are. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's something I might try to pick up and see how it plays. But the other thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up with it is that this gives a lot of hope to the idea that Dragon Ball Fighters can come to the Switch as well. A lot of people are asking for it. They put out their feelers about whether people are interested or not. I, I if, if they if they can get this working on it, there's no reason they can't get uh, Dragon Ball Fighters on there too. It's going to happen if there if there are enough people who want it and there's enough money there. You, I guarantee you, Bandai Namco is going to put that game on the Switch. I would be shocked if they didn't. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, but that just again just leads further. I, I guess evidence or uh, hope <laughs> towards that, yeah. that inevitability, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really cool, and it's uh, this cross tag battle might be something worth checking out uh, at some point. Like I have no connection to half the franchises in there, but what yeah. I, what I do enjoy, I I mean I I was a big fan of the first two Blaze Blue games. Uh, I love Persona. I uh, played a bit of enough of Persona 4, so I know who you, Yosuke, and Chie are, at least. <laughs> and, uh-huh. uh, yeah, all for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with Ruby. I've watched a few episodes of Ruby. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I literally don't know what Undernight Inbirth is. Though. No, I've I never heard of that. I don't think I've ever heard of that, actually. Yeah, which... 
the name is very strange, but uh, yeah, I guess for the for those of you Undernight Enberth fans out there, you're also well uh, well stocked here. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I think that takes care of it for the news this week. So uh, as always, uh, you guys can support us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon for just one dollar a month, get the uh, get these podcasts three days early every Friday, as well as off- offer up topics like the ones we have here. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the topics this week. And uh, Ash, uh, how would you like to go first? I can go first. That's fine. Uh, so my topic this week comes from the Nintendo dads who say, hey guys, love the show. Thank you very much. Uh, we're curious. The term Metroidvania seems to be a blanket catch-all term for so many games, or you hear it used such like it's Metroidvania-ish. But how do you actually define Metroidvania? What are the elements that a game must have to label it as such? Uh, also, if you ever need a third share because Andre doesn't show up, we got you covered. Keep up the work, gents. Uh, cheers. So thank you, Nintendo dads. We appreciate that. And... Uh, I picked this one because it actually was something that came up to me a couple of weeks ago. I just uh, a couple of weeks ago we published our review of Axiom Verge, and that was my review. And uh, I was kind of going through the comments, and I noticed uh, a trend, and that was a lot of people saying or or, or feeling that I had used the Metroidvania term incorrectly, um, referring to Axiom Verge, like Axiom Verge is not a Metroidvania, and they got me thinking, like. Am I misusing it? Have I been misusing it? What actually does define a Metroidvania? So I thought it'd be a cool thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I guess when I think of it, I mean, you know, the term Metroidvania is clearly, you know, it's a direct fusion of the term, you know, Metroid and then Castlevania based on Symphony of the Night. So I don't know exactly what it is that would separate a Metroidvania game from just a Metroid game or just a Symphony-style Castlevania game. Do do you like? Have you thought about like what I mean, exactly I th- separates? I that? think the reason it was I, I was always under the assumption that the reason it was combined into Metroidvania is because the idea is essentially the same. Where That's what I th- yeah. you go in, you lose you you have an idea of what your full abilities are at least to a certain degree. It's happened. It happens both in Symphony of the Night and in Metroid. Although later Castlevania games just have you start out not as powerful from the get go. Uh, you don't have right. they don't put you through the process of, oh no, I've lost all my abilities. Um, but it's the idea, to me, what, a, what makes a Metroidvania is you're exploring a big area that is very non-linear. You can explore a lot of places, but there's also a lot of places cut off, and you can't go back and explore those places until you find a new ability or weapon or a thing that you might need. And once you do, then you can more fully explore something. So it's a lot more... It's all about the exploration and picking up up, uh, upgrades that allow you to explore more. That's always always been my assumption. No, and, and that makes sense, and I mean, mine too, to a degree, but then when I think about it, why don't we just call that a Metroid-like game? Because it really, Super Metroid, that, that describes Super Metroid, and that came out way before Symphony of the Night. So it, we're not really describing anything Castlevania, or specific to Castlevania, when we use that term based on the definition you just gave. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting. And while I was listening to you, I was thinking maybe the decider, maybe the defining factor, are RPG elements. Symphony of the Night has RPG elements, HP. MP, you know, different stats, attack, defense, equipment that you can find and you can equip and change out and, you know, different classes of weapons handle differently, like when Mm -hmm. Alucard equips them or other heroes from other, uh, you know, symphony-style Castlevania games. So I wonder if the the, the deciding factor then is that kind of RPG-ish, you know, side of things that 
to be fair, Metroid and Axiom Verge do not have. There, there's no RPG element in that game. And so I'm wondering if maybe that's what it is, is there's mm-hmm. a bit of a focus on like stats and you know numbers pop up when you you know, hurt an enemy to, you know, signify how many HP of damage you did. Yeah. So could that be the, the, the defining factor? That's an excellent idea. I, I did not think about it from that, from that aspect. I mean, um, I've seen people compare, uh, I've seen people throw around the idea of Metroidvania for SteamWorld Dig 2, and I've not played that. You have. Is there RPG elements yeah. for that? There, I would say there are more RPG elements to SteamWorld Dig 2 than there are Axiom Verge. So I would say that if we're going by that definition, I would say SteamWorld Dig 2 comes closer to being a Metroidvania mm-hmm. than Axiom Verge. But, you know, then again, I just called Axiom Verge a Metroidvania about a million times <laughs> in our review. But it really has got me thinking, like, maybe Axiom Verge is just it's just like a Metroid, you know, a really good Metroid-type game. Mm-hmm. But maybe not a Metroidvania because there are pretty much zero RPG elements in that game. Well, I'm trying to think of other games that have been labeled Metroidvania that might not have yeah. those RPG elements. I'm trying to, I'm like blanking. I'm trying to think too. Off uh, the... Shadow Complex. Shadow Complex was billed as a Metroidvania. Yeah, and I, but... I don't think it had any RPG. That was definitely more Metroid. So. In it, yeah, in its so it may be that a lot of people have been misappropriating that term, <laughs> including, you know, myself or us, that I just gotten so used to to using that term as a catch-all for every game styled like that. Yeah, because I would. But, my know, assumption really, yeah. was I was always it was just those two are the most popular. Let's combine. Right. No, that's and that's I I feel like maybe I, I initially you know kind of had a more defined difference, but then I think it just kind of coalesced into like, well, yeah, those are the two most popular, and that's why we use that term. But no, I mean when you think about it, there is kind of a marked difference between a game like Super Metroid and a game like Castlevania Symphony of the Night, and that you know. Samus doesn't get... She gets new equipment, but it's built into her power suit, and she can't necessarily swap them out at will. You mm-hmm. kind of you can turn on or off certain beams, but, you know, it's still different. Plus, there are no, you know, no, yeah. no numbers you, pop up. You can't no change HP. up, like, parts in order to make it, those parts yeah. uh, more powerful, for example. And, like, she doesn't have stats. There's no attack or defense stat. You know, her defense just goes up by however much when she gets the Varya suit and then the gravity suit. But, yeah, so... When you think about it like that, there is kind of a marked difference between a game like Super Metroid and a game like Symphony of the Night. So mm-hmm. maybe I've been wrong to, or maybe I was wrong to refer to Axiom Verge as a Metroidvania. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I mean, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense to me that you look at those yeah. R- that RPG element and uh, the, the 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 change to what weapons you use and how it changes up your gameplay style. Because you know, if you change your weapons in those uh, those Castlevania games. You play very differently with a sword to compared to an axe compared to in Ari of Sorrow a gun, which wasn't a very good weapon in that yeah. game. But still, it, it, you still had to play differently if you wanted to use those weapons. So, and met with met with right. Metroid, you always play the same. You never change up the, that playstyle. Exactly, and 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 I yeah. It it also may just be that it's just kind of a problematic term in general because <laughs> while I, while I would say. To a, to a degree, most Metroid games play generally the same. Obviously, there are differences, like Metroid Fusion is more linear. But generally, they're this, all the same kind of game. However, when you get to the Vania part of it, it becomes problematic because there is de- very much a division between pre-Symphony of the Night Castlevania and post-Symphony of the Night Castlevania. And then, even more, the 3D games, the Lords of Shadow games. So <laughs> I feel I just kind of feel like the term Metroidvania is just kind of a bad term in general when I think about <laughs> it. It kind of seems like that, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's very strange when you really break it down. But I, I, I'm actually pretty happy with the definition of 
a Metroid-like game that includes RPG elements and different weapons and stats. Yeah, I'm 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 happy with that too. So if that's the definition we're going with, and that is indeed accurate, then I was actually wrong to call Axiom Version Metroidvania. And even though me being wrong never happens, <laughs> I guess I have to admit it. <laughs> no, but no, I, I totally I'm glad we you know this is a good thing to talk about because I'm like yeah, why do I call things Metroidvania? It's like let's really break it down. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious what people will end up thinking about that 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 one. Whether they'll agree with us for the term, or if there's an actual actually a widely held belief about like no this is what the term means this is what it applies to like, and we just not yeah. unaware of it but I'll be very curious yeah. about that one yeah me too but uh, thanks Nintendo Dads for the question yep and uh, my question comes from Vince and I chose this one because well I've gotten this question a lot <laughs> I figured might as well address it here um, he says uh, the big one on my mind this week is uh, is Game Explain affected by the tightening up of Nintendo's review process that Go Nintendo, US Gamer, and IGN have reported on this week? Saw that you guys did Fire Emblem Warriors, but also saw that Derek mentioned that Nintendo helped with a Euro- European code on that one. So yeah, right. Uh, obviously, yes. Everybody that covers Nintendo games have been affected by this. There is no exception uh, whatsoever. Uh, that is, there's, because here's the thing. Um, I don't know who did it or anything like that, but the person, uh, a, a person got a hold of a review code for Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions, and they decided it was a very good idea to upload the ROM of the game, <sighs> not leak it. Not I mean, like when you hear leak nowadays, I just think, oh, they leaked this information about it, or they leaked this ha- this about it. Uh, you know. It sucks, but it's harmless, and sometimes mistakes happen uh, when it comes to following embargoes. Like you misread something or mis- or forget a date and whatnot. That's why we always triple check our dates and make sure we're not screwing something up. Um, and no, this person decided to just dump the raw on there, and uh, it was it's a dumb move. It's a dumb move because of course Nintendo is going to crack down. I don't yeah, blame them for cracking down. Uh, now, granted, they you know they a lot can look at this and say Nintendo's overreacting. Uh, they should just punish this one person, and maybe that's the case. But also, you might want to look take a look at who you're giving your games to and make sure they're trustworthy. And I think because they were in the process of that, uh, everybody got affected by it, and they needed to take the time and figure out who was doing what. And uh, unfortunately, because of that, Fire Emblem Warriors got shot in the foot. And that might also be why we never really saw much talk about it before Mario Odyssey is because the press couldn't get a hold of it outside of us, who were very lucky, or the European press, who Nintendo of Europe is not having these issues, of course. Um, they, they they just couldn't get the word of mouth out because of that whole aspect of it. And we are – I'm extremely lucky like that Don got that extra code and that I – could review that version of the game. And I, I made sure to follow every single embargo note uh, from Nintendo of Europe for that. So I didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I have this game. I have free reign now. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. no that is a terrible idea. <laughs> no, no. You don't ever want to do that. No, it, is, it, it does not work. The only time you can get away with that is I, like with Fire Emblem Warriors for the, uh, the Japanese copy because I bought that. I can do whatever right. I want. Yeah, basically, if you find like an early copy of a game in store and you get really lucky, then hey, carte blanche. It's you're not under embargo, so you can really do what you want. However, there is a certain you know a good faith thing yeah. where you you know 
you have to think about it. It's like, okay, is it really worth it? Because even if it, you are legally entitled to, it doesn't mean you're not an, an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you, that you <laughs> so, shouldn't do that sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that it did uh, hurt Fire Emblem Warriors because of that. And um, fortunately, Nintendo did work it out for Super Mario Odyssey as we, we got our code in. And I've seen quite a few other people get their codes in. But we're also now under an extremely tight deadline <laughs> because, yeah. as we all know, Mario Odyssey comes out next week. So we'll see. We'll see how that all goes down. But I would not be surprised, and I, I don't know. I have no insider knowledge about this whatsoever. Like that's all I'm doing is what, what is going on from my perspective. Uh, I would not be surprised if Nintendo just decides certain people won't be getting ambassador codes anymore. Not anything against them, but maybe just you haven't been proven trustworthy, or you're not big enough. And that can be an issue. I mean, that, that's the problem is one person screws things up, it affects everybody. So you, like, uh, it's chaos, be kind. <laughs> to tie it back yeah. into that. It's chaos, be kind, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, whoever it was out there that, that dumped the code for, dumped the ROM for Mario Luigi th- Superstar Saga, it's like, first of all, screw you. Like, really, <laughs> like, you really did ruin it for everybody mm-hmm. else. But also, you know, I, and I agree with you, Derek, I do not blame Nintendo for cracking down at all. Although I do wish, since they seem to know who it was, I do wish they could just punish that one person. But I do understand the crackdown. Uh, however, just you know, playing devil's advocate, if you're going to do that, why would you waste it on Superstar Saga 3DS? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, like, yeah. if you're going to be a jerk and do it anyway, why are you going to do it with that? Like, is that not uh, nothing against Mario and Luigi? But of all the games, if you're going to do that anyway, uh-huh. why would you ruin it for everybody else over that game? <laughs> I, that's what I don't get. That's that's the only. It's like really, Does, was anyone really dying to play the Superstar Saga 3DS remake that much? Mm-hmm. Like in terms of just I have to dump it a week before release because people are desperate. Were they really? I don't think so, but I did see. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know that the ROM was easily obtainable because I saw plenty of other channels while I was Ugh. preparing for. I mean, I don't know how big the channels were because I didn't look at any of them, but I saw a bunch pop up like Superstar Saga, all bosses, final boss, Ugh. all like this, 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 and this, this. So many videos being made that I could make myself, but I had to wait for embargo because I actually paid attention yeah. to the embargo and all that. So it's one of those things like. Um, the ROM was out there. People could play it, but it also screws over a lot of people. Yeah. How about just don't pirate games? How about that? Yeah. That's that's my position on it. Just don't pirate games. Don't dump. Yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, is, was it worth it for his 15 minutes of fame, I guess? Because now, he, you know, he's I, got Nintendo breathing down his neck, I assume. Yeah, I have no idea who this guy is. So I have uh, how big or small his channel was or, or anything like that. Um I just don't know why he would have thought this was a good idea. Maybe he thought he wouldn't get caught, and nope, there's always a way. Maybe, but I, okay, I guess if it was worth it, but now he's got, you know, the wrath of Nintendo's legal team bearing down upon him, so, mm-hmm. okay. Or her, we don't know yeah, him or her, but know. either way, yeah. We'll sure. see what happens, it was but, worth it. uh, yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a little bit of chaos, and the only thing is, like, it, okay, it's, it sort of worked out for odyssey my big panic moment now is like oh please don't let this affect uh pokemon or xenoblade <laughs> i feel like i mean i feel like it has more of a chance of affecting xenoblade just because i, I feel like it's usually the pokemon company who mostly handles they do review copies of those games so i feel like if anything it's just going to be the pokemon company doing their usual 
you know, making us worry anyway. <laughs> and then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is going to be the one where we have to worry about these new guidelines affecting us. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, with Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is I can't have a situation where I get the game uh, a week before release or even yeah. like a day of release, worst case scenario. Oh my God, yeah. I can't review the game. I can't. There's no way. Uh, it's, yeah. it's impossible. I do will, would not have the time. And it would suck. It would yeah. suck. I can tell you from experience with Xenoblade Chronicles X, I got that game a month early and I still didn't beat it in time. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm being thorough with that because I feel like that's how I have to – I wanted to play it how I normally would because I feel like that gives me the more accurate review and yeah. idea of it. I don't want to rush through it to just beat the game and then check out other things. No, I'm going to take my time and really look at everything going on. And I want to do the same for Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And guess what? Because I had the opportunity to do that, I did a 30-minute freaking review of Xenoblade Chronicles X. In a lot of ways, um, I'm not really looking forward to 2, at least writing the review, because I wonder if I'm going to end up doing the same thing here, which, looking at that game, I can see it being totally possible. It's possible, although maybe not because of, you know X is still an open world game, so it may true. be true. There is it is a bit more guided. As, yeah, yeah, it's not as not quite as many systems tying into one another, which yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but right, yeah, I mean that's that again. I don't have any better insight than that, and we are personally fine at least now. <laughs> we were there was a panic. I will say that <laughs> it's like oh god, yeah. Oh, oh God! Right? Yeah, I was like, "Oh man, if we don't get Odyssey until like two days before, or God yeah. forbid, day of, what are we gonna do?" <laughs> exactly. Especially when fortunately that didn't end up happening. Yeah, thankfully, because it is. I mean, let's yeah. be honest; it is the biggest Switch game of the year. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yep. So yeah. we'll see. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, go, moving on to our uh, combined topic. Uh, we have uh, Mario Ochoa, who has a fun one. I think that's why we both chose this one. <laughs> yeah, he just says, "Guys, uh, we want a list of your top favorite, uh, top five favorite PS One games." And uh, I was like, "Oh, that could be fun." And I'm sure you were the same way. And then we started making a list. I'm like, "Oh God." <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like we we talk about. Obviously, we talk about Nintendo primarily, but we're also you and I are such big PlayStation fans too that it's nice to be able to just list off. A PlayStation list for once, and, mm. and not a you know favorite Nintendo consoles or Mario games or whatever. You know, it should, not that those lists are bad, but just we talk about Nintendo so much, it's just fun to be able to list something PlayStation related for once. Yeah. So yeah, I got my top five plus a bunch of runner ups because <laughs> I could. God, it was so I could, hard. I, I couldn't like, leave them off the list. Be, yeah. I know, and it was like you know when I was when I was looking at this question, I'm like, oh, this shouldn't be too hard. And then when I, when I went to actually start making the list, I'm like. God, this is really <laughs> difficult because the PlayStation One's library was so amazing. Yeah, it really and was. Uh, well, do we want to just start at five and work our way up? Sounds good. Uh, I guess I'll start with my number five. All right, Ape Escape. I stream. Nice. I streamed it. It's a wonderful game. It, it was. I got my PlayStation late enough that all the controllers were DualShock, so it wasn't as big a deal to me. But because it came with the DualShock, I was easily able to pick up Ape Escape without having to get an extra controller. And the, that game used the second analog stick in really clever ways that you still don't use really see that often anymore. Like yeah. the, the, It wasn't used for camera control. It was used for uh, different gadgets and everything else. And even beyond that, going like going back with that stream, the game holds up so well. Like Even, if, even without... Like, ooh, the gimmick of what you can do with these, 
No, the game is still fun. It's an excellent platformer. It's challenging. It's it's like chasing after the monkeys is a lot of fun. And it's I don't know. It's just a really good time. So yeah, I, I have to put that at number five. All right, uh, my number five is Metal Gear Solid. Yep. Um, it for me was an absolute. I, I was not a Metal Gear fan as a kid. I'd never really gotten into the series. I didn't really care about Metal Gear Solid until I just kept seeing it. it was just so persistently popping up in various magazines at the, like video game magazines at the time as it must play one of the best games ever made. A, you know, a true evolution in, in video game cinematic storytelling. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. And it was a revelation for me. I. I just couldn't get enough. I'm like, oh my god, these characters, uh, like these codec conversations. I'm so all these betrayals and and just double agents. Like this is so good, and I just got, you know, I mean, this that was my first exposure to Hideo Kojima's, you know, particular brand of just cinematic insanity. <laughs> so I think, you know, I was at an impressionable age, and it just it had that much more of a, of an effect on me than it, than it might have had like now, maybe, mm-hmm. but. You know, I was, what, 14, 15, Somewhere the perfect age yeah. to get into something like Metal Gear Solid, and I just ate it up. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was one of those games where I got so hooked into the story that I could not stop playing it until I saw it through. And it just, that, that game absolutely consumed me mm-hmm. when I first got it. And I, it's still one of my, I still think in many ways it's still one of the purest and best games in the series. I think in a lot of ways this series never really did it better after that. I mean, my favorite MGS game overall is 3. But after three, I might have to say the original is my favorite. Yeah, after that. I probably agree with that. Uh, three is still my favorite as well. And uh, while Metal Gear Solid is not on my list, it is definitely a runner-up. Um, yeah, it is. It, it, the funny thing is, I remember picking up. I had a demo, an official PlayStation magazine, so I get PlayStation demos every month. And one of them, of course, was Metal Gear Solid one month. And I remember playing it and being like, "This is really cool and interesting," but God, I suck at it. Because I was yeah. not used to – like PlayStation was a, a time of evolution for me because it was when I got beyond platformers. It's when I first experienced RPGs. It's when I first experienced the idea of stealth gameplay. And a friend let me finally borrow his copy of Metal Gear Solid because he wanted me to check it out. And I remember playing it and being like, OK, now I get it. Now I understand. And holy crap, this is addictive. Like I'm so invested in what's going on. I want to see every little thing and I'm just uh, so – I got to see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. It was great. No, I hear you. I mean, like, we basically had the same exact... Yeah, I mean, it, the, the story, I think, just absolutely had that same effect on us. And I think a lot of people, I mean, that's why it's so widely regarded as one of the best and, and absolutely a touchstone in video game storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. So, well... All right. My number four is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Speaking of revelations, nice. it's my first time... It's my first Castlevania, and... Again, just kept hearing uh, people in school talk about it all the time, how good the game was. So I uh, pa- uh, tracked it down, got it, and I was, again, just absorbed into it. It was so much fun. I liked I liked having the RPG elements there because I was used to RPGs by that point. And I was like, okay, if I get stuck, I can just grind. I'm in, I'm in good shape. <laughs> and uh, So I never felt like I got stuck. And then, of course, getting to the end and realizing the uh, upside-down castle is like, blew my mind as a kid it's like okay this is this is so cool and i even was into the cheesy voice acting like i didn't mind oh yeah because you don't think about it as a kid <laughs> no oh no i love the cheesy voice acting in symphony night that was one of my favorite parts about it and just how just the kind of goofy sense that it gave the overall game but no symphony of the night is an absolute classic i really struggled it, it it's not on my list actually mm-hmm. uh but it would have been number six like it i was really really struggling between symphony of the night and metal gear solid 
for the number five spot. And so even though it didn't make it, it is j- it barely didn't make the cut. Like, it's right underneath there. Yeah. It's just a classic. It's fantastic. Oh, so good. What's your number four? My number four is Parasite Eve. Nice. I love Parasite Eve. I still think it is one of the most underused and underutilized series in Square under Square's umbrella. The third birthday is just... <laughs> utterly trashed and ruined that series ruined Aya, Aya the main character I still hate that game to death mm-hmm. I want to reboot I want to see Parasite Eve remade you know and, and remade in the spirit of the first game because what a game that was I mean sure it may be a little janky the graphics probably you know they don't hold up much like many games with the squares pre-rendered back, backgrounds don't hold up as well today but man, who cares? It had one, you know Yoko Shimomura is one of her best soundtracks it had a really unique battle system where you can like move around within a defined space for a specific amount of time, and then the action pauses. You know, you make certain menu selections again, and then you're able to freely control Aya again. And it had a cool storyline. You know, talking about like you know the the mitochondria within the human body <laughs> rising up and becoming self aware, and take it's just bonkers, absolutely yeah. bonkers. But it worked, and it was such a cool game. Like, and and Aya Brea, straight up. Square did the whole like well-written female character like who isn't needlessly sexualized but is just a tough cool character way before it was like a thing that studios had to relearn how to do like mm-hmm. Square nailed it with Aya. I love Aya. Yeah. I I again hard choice ended up with my runners up but I oh god it was so, it was so good. I, I I remember that was again the time where I learned about RPGs thanks to Square Enix. And I was mm. buying everything under the like. It had Square Enix under the title. Buying it, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm getting. Yeah, it. me too. And That's exactly where I was at. Yeah. yeah, and I picked this up, and I remember like I didn't really play many scary games up to that point, and it was considered as a scary game at that time, at least to me. And like, I remember watching the opening cutscene, thinking how beautiful it was, how better the graphics were compared to Final Fantasy VII, at least I thought at that uh-huh. time, because uh, you got the realistic pr- proportions. And I'm watching that opening cutscene where everybody catches fire, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> what the heck's going on? And yeah. There are some really tense moments. I never actually beat the game. I got to the final boss, but I was so underprepared, which happened a oh. lot to me as a kid um, playing RPGs for the first time where I wasn't quite ready. So I never beat the final boss at the Statue of Liberty. But um, I, I I got to that point. I was I was pretty well satisfied, though. And I was, I, I was enamored. I loved that game to death. It was so interesting and so much fun and had that great sense of... Uh, horror to it, but also again, like you said, I was a great character, and I think yeah. I think even as early, like you were talking about the whole non-sexualized thing, as early as two, they ruined that. And I honestly did not like Parasite Eve two as much. I know I've heard some say they prefer it, but they it felt more yeah. like a Resident Evil clone to me. And it did the big marketing gimmick for that one was. Uh, Aya in the shower. Aya in the shower was the yeah. big thing that they always advertise that, and it happens really early in the game. But I remember that boss that takes place right after that scene with the on the hotel balcony, and I was not used to tank controls at this point, and I couldn't get past it. I've never gotten yeah. past that point in Parasite Eve two, and I never bothered to go back to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike Parasite Eve two. I, I at first I didn't like it at all, and then I actually stuck with it, and I did beat it. And once you learn the game, it actually does get more fun, but. Yeah, I, I mean, Parasite Eve 2 is nowhere near as good as the first one, just in general. And the thing is, like, you know, in, in Parasite Eve 1, Aya was, she was, she's an attractive female character, 
But that's not the point of her. Like, she is that as well, but the main point of her is that she's this tough, no-nonsense, take-no-prisoners New York cop who's going to get to the bottom of whatever craziness is happening. And she just happens to be, you know, a female. And that's... I love that. Mm. And, um, no, like, in, in, man, Parasite Eve, I just... I could talk about it forever, but <laughs> the... Uh, I'm trying to think. I was going to say something about Parasite Eve 2, but I can't remember what it was, actually. So I'm just going to say Parasite Eve was awesome, and Square needs to reboot it and pretend like the third birthday never <laughs> happened. And But do something with it, because, man, what a cool series. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my number three uh, was... Crash Bandicoot 3, Warped. Uh, that was okay. my first exposure. It's, it's really funny. I played cr- the Crash Bandicoot series in opposite order. <laughs> like By the time I got a PlayStation, cr- Crash Bandicoot 3 was out, played a demo, really enjoyed it, picked it up, and I was just addicted to it. I loved, I loved that platforming. It felt really fun. And then it was really cool going back and uh, playing the older games but, and having less options, but they were still fun in their own ways. But Bandicoot 3 still stands out as... Uh, the height of the series to me, and uh, revisiting it with the uh, NSYNC uh, trilogy was really great to see, and uh, just yeah. good times just getting a, getting to 102% in that game, or 103%, whatever, the max percentage that you could in that, in that. Yeah. I was really addicted to it, just good platforming. Nice, now like, as I said before, I for whatever reason, I never really got into Crash, so I can't add a whole lot, all, you know, although I have heard that Crash 3 is generally regarded to be very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, sorry I can't add more because I never cool. really got into Crash, but yeah. Uh, my number three is Final Fantasy IX. Uh, it is my favorite of the PS1 Final Fantasies by a fairly significant margin. Um, I, of course, I, I love Seven; It's great, but I don't think it's aged quite as well as Nine And uh, Eight, I like, I really like certain elements of it, but I don't like the battle system. I, I think that the coolest thing I can say about Eight is that it's like playing somebody else's fever dream. It's just <laughs> so psychotically weird. That game is so weird. But that's to me, other that, other than that, and like an incredible soundtrack, that's really Eight's legacy to me. But for me, Nine has the whole package. Mm-hmm. Like Zidane is still one of my favorite Final Fantasy protagonists, one of my favorite RPG protagonists, really, uh, just in general. And he always resonated with me. Still love him to this day, and I just I loved Nine's kind of old school take on the franchise without going too old school. Like it's old school, it you know it deals with castles and kingdoms and kind of a more fantasy type world, mm-hmm. but not to such a degree that it feels like a retread of something like Final Fantasy One or Four. There are still modern elements in there, mm-hmm. or I should say One, Two, or Three. There's still modern elements in there, and it kind of takes on this cool like combination of like fantasy elements and modern weird sci-fi elements like you know toward the end of the game where you know you discover another world and stuff like I don't want to go too much into it for people who haven't played it though then again it did come out in 2000 so I feel like 17 years later we can talk about it (laughs) to a degree but it's so good Mm -hmm. FF9 is just I love the the ability system how you learn abilities from your equipment and I and one of my favorite things about 9 that that, uh, I think 9 did better than 8 and 7 was that Every character has a defined job. Every character has their own role to play and isn't just a carbon copy. Like in 7, the characters generally felt the same, except they had different equipment to a degree. They could all have a different weapon, and they had different limit breaks. But otherwise, they were pretty similar because they could all use the same spells. Same with 8. But no, 9 took things back to that. Every character is specialized. You know, Zidane is your thief. Steiner's your knight. Dagger is your summoner slash mage. You know, yeah, I always prefer that. Yeah, 
I, I mean, I can't disagree with you because Final Fantasy IX is my number two game. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So <laughs> okay. I'll just lead into my. I mean, everything you said is so true. Like I like when I first got the game and saw the ability system and how all of a sudden every single piece of equipment was useful because you can get all these different abilities and uh, if you just use them long enough you could uh, uh, get uh, them permanently. Like I played them so much. I I remember just. Never refusing to switch to a more powerful weapon until I got the old stuff. Uh, uh-huh. It was just such a good time. I remember being so addicted to it. Uh, and the, again, the characters are so good. Like uh, that, the main four. Like I mean, they. I like. I would say the main four. Yeah, yeah. The, the other characters really do stand out on their own. Uh, Kena Ken never really did much for me, but um, the others were good. I mean, Iko was probably is good. You know, they're good. But the main four, uh, Zidane. Uh, Garnet, Dagger, uh, Steiner, and Vivi. Holy crap. Yeah. What a main cast. That, and the ways they play off each other, the humor of the game, uh, it, it's and just balancing with the really heavy stuff. Uh, it's great stuff. There Now, Nine does have its weaknesses. Like, Kuja is not exactly the best villain out there. Um, he does his yeah. He, he does his own thing. It, it felt like they were trying to do trying to do Sephiroth again. Even his like his villain theme seemed really similar to Sephiroth's. Um, it did, which is a shame. And plus, like the final final boss comes completely out of nowhere. Yeah, with like no build up. And then like not only that, but I is as strong as the four main cast members are. And I would actually add like Echo to that. You know, I would say like the five, like those five are really solid, but. Freya, I feel like they almost got there, but didn't quite. And then, honestly, like, Quina and Amaranth, I could not tell you anything about them. I, their stories, I their know Quina's into food, and that's about it. Yeah, I don't remember Amaranth yeah, at all. Yeah, Quina's into food, and then, like, Amaranth has cool red hair and tries to be, like, edgelord, but he's not. And <laughs> never becomes that important. So, like, that is definitely... Nine is not perfect, and it really screws the pooch on, like the other half of the cast, maybe minus Aiko. Mm-hmm. But that other, that four main, four or five main characters in the cast are so good. Oh, yeah. And so strong that they really kind of make up for and, it. And, and Queen Bray, and as her as an attack, oh, yeah. so her design, it's so good. Oh, Braun, right? Yeah. Braun, yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she was great, and uh, I really like the tan, like Zidane's Tantalus crew. I thought, <laughs> you know, Blank and, and those guys. And straight up, the Zidane's You're Not Alone sequence toward the end of the game still ranks as like one of my absolute favorite Sequences in any game ever, mm-hmm. period. Just because I could personally relate to it, and that's another reason I just like Zidane so much. Yeah, I I picked it up on PS4. I really want to replay it at some point. I I, I need to do that soon. I, I I just need to re-experience that game again. Yeah, no, I've been shipping away at the PS4 version. Obviously, you know, not having much time to play it at all, but. It def- it's nice to be able to play a version of FF9 <laughs> where you can speed up those terminally slow battles. That's another problem with 9. Like, it's not perfect. The battle system is so slow, <laughs> even on the fastest setting. But taken taken as a whole, it is definitely my favorite PS1 Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what's your number two? My number two is Mega Man X4. Um, nice. That is one of my very favorite Mega Man games, period, let alone Mega Man X games. And X4 just, man... It has it all. It has early PS1 terrible voice acting. <laughs> it has a killer soundtrack. It is the first full playable debut of Zero. So you could you could play as Zero in a limited fashion in X3, but this is the first game that allowed you to play as him. He had his own story. He had his own characters that he dealt with, His own some of his own boss fights. So it was the first game to really flesh him out fully as a playable character yeah. alongside X, which back then was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And it had cool anime cutscenes. It had gorgeous sprites and you know hand-drawn sprites and graphics. It, in many ways, it was the last 
amazing Mega Man X game. And then the series kind of went in some strange directions after that. Like, 5 was good, but not great. 6 was mostly awful. 7 was <laughs> utter garbage. And 8 was great, but by then it had been so many years, you know? Yeah. And X4 late. was just, in many ways, the last just pure, awesome Mega Man X game. And I would say X1 is still just slightly better, but in terms of all the PS1 games I played, Mega Man X4 is absolutely one of the best and it's probably my number two PS1 game. Nice. I X4 was my very first X game that I ever played and I remember, nice. I remember renting that and digging it, getting into the anime cutscenes and whatnot. It was like at the time because that was really cool because it was something you hadn't seen before so having cutscenes oh, yeah. like that it was really cool and I liked playing as both characters. Couldn't beat the game in my rental time because uh, oh, yeah. you know, first X game so yeah I'm going to have some difficulty <laughs> um, uh, but it was it was I remember having a lot of fun. I have a lot of fond memories of that game and going back to it. And especially now, like, I, I think that was the one that had the major lore to it. I don't know if it was the first time it was introduced, but the idea that, yes, Zero was built by Wily. And that's, this is the yeah, game that- no, that was the game. Yeah, basically. Like, X2 had hinted at it, but not very obviously. So you would really had to do a little thinking to figure out what they meant, but X4 was the first game to lay it out bare. Like, nope, Zero was, in fact, created by Dr. Wily, and that, back then, was such a cool reveal. Mm-hmm. Like, that was like, oh my god, like, I don't think anyone <laughs> saw that coming back. Although, I guess, technically, you also kind of get that reveal in Mega Man The Power Battle, but X4 is kind of the game that's typically credited with that full reveal. Yeah, and also, the, like, the origin of how Sigma became infected by the virus. <laughs> Right, exactly. So you get that whole, yeah, like, so much of the lore was revealed in that in that particular game. Like, you get the fact that Zero started off as a Maverick, and Sigma was actually a Maverick hunter who contracted the Maverick virus from Zero. Mm-hmm. And none of that was, you knew <laughs> none of that before this game. It, and it was, you know, you got little teases, like, you know, X is going to have to fight, you know, like, at the end of X2 and X3, you'd get like, oh man... X is going to have to fight Zero one day, and you don't know why, but X4 brings all that into focus, and it's so good. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I so wish the Maverick Hunter X series had continued, just to see them like clarify, like clarify the same way they did X's story with 2 through 5, you know? That is literally, we could have a whole podcast about just that, <laughs> that I could talk about how much, all, all the all my dreams and hopes for Maverick Hunter X2 mm-hmm. through X8, and just... Like, I, oh, I still so consider sad. Mega Man X the superior game, but I liked what Maverick Hunter yeah. X did as far as a remix. Like, it's, it's, no, it's me play too. X, then Maverick Hunter X, if you, like, after a little bit, because they're 100%. different enough, but yeah. And God, if they had gotten a chance to make all those games in that style, oh, it hurts to think <laughs> about the possibilities, but... At least X4 will always exist in, in the form that it does. And, hey, you know, even though it could have gotten a remake with better voice acting, to me, the voice acting it currently has is iconic. And, you know, what am I fighting for? And <laughs> X is, you know, the fact they got they got the, the girl who did Mega Man's voice in 8 to do <laughs> X's voice, which well, makes no sense. No, not at all. Yeah, not at so, all. but it, it's just kind of a beautiful disaster in that sense, the, the localization. And I, you know, I love it for that. Mm-hmm. Like, those cutscenes, I will never forget <laughs> all those weird, weirdly recorded lines. And so good. Mm-hmm. For my number one, um, I have to give it to Mega Man Legends 2. I, nice. I love the Legends series. Like, it is like it was actually a hard choice for me between Legends or Legends 1. Because I, I wanted to keep it to one game per series for this top five. Yeah. Uh, so I had to choose between Legends one or two, and I I had to go with two because I it improves so much over 
uh, what one did. I like uh, like gameplay wise. I think one is just a little bit more classic in that sense. But I love how Legends Two is just so much more epic than mm-hmm. the original Legends. Like it actually answers a bunch of questions. You're getting yeah. into your much more involved plot. There's much bigger stakes this time around. You're learning more about uh, Mega Man Volnitz's uh, history and what's going on. I love how. Uh, there's this huge coalition of pirates working together and uh, all the different fights you have with them so it changes things up so it's not just the bonds all the time even though the bonds are still great um, and it's just it's just such a fantastic game and it's it's funny because I didn't initially realize that I didn't get I played the initial one and then I, I played a little bit of two legends 2 and didn't um, and got kind of lost at the underwater. Uh, mm-hmm. One, I believe, I got lost there, and so I never, never actually finished it until I finally bought the game and replayed it. And yeah, that's how much that's how much of a steam it, uh, it has for me that I was able to go back to it years later yeah. and still appreciate it for everything it did. Yeah, no, I mean, you basically just said everything I would have said about Legends Two. I mean, it it really it is one of those rare sequels that actually came out and did answer all those burning questions from the first game. Because I, I distinctly remember finishing Legends 1 as a kid, or as a teen. I was probably at 12 or 13. And being like, oh my god, the way they open things up and they 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 open the scope of that universe up at the very end of the game and, and present you with so many burning questions. Mm-hmm. Like when Data talks to you. <laughs> yeah. When Data that talks so to Mega shocking. Man at the end of Legends of 1, I'm like, oh my god, what are we dealing with here? <laughs> I gotta see a sequel. And so Legends 2 was one of those rare games that actually did answer a lot of the questions it posed in the first game. But then we all know how that turned out. <laughs> it, it, it very similarly it posed many of its own bigger picture questions at the end of the game, mm-hmm. which still have not been answered. Yeah, it's and, the way it goes. But it would have been it would have yeah. made a great trilogy, that's for sure. It really would have. And I had a hard time with this because I really wanted to put you know both Mega Man Legends games on my top five. But kind of like you, I wanted to keep it to you know one game per series if I could. Mm-hmm. And when I weighed X four against Legends one and two, I you know I really had to go with X four, but. God, I mean, it's so hard for me not to have the Legends games on my top five. And again, like, they're right there with Symphony of the Night, like, right at number six, seven, like, yeah. right underneath. I, I've said it many but times, just, but Legends yeah. is my favorite part of the Mega Man franchise. No, and that's, it is such a special series. And much like you, I didn't quite, I, I wasn't keyed into just how special it actually was when I first played it. Because back then, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's a cool, you know, Mega Man 3D game, like, the big deal back then was that it was the first time Mega Man had ever been seen in 3D. And I think I got lost in that kind of hype mm-hmm. and failed to see at the time just how unbelievably special it was outside of Mega Man being in 3D. Now, of course, it's obvious. Like, it's you go back and, like, you genuinely are playing, like, Saturday morning anime. It's it is, especially because yeah. how the hell did this game end up with such good voice acting? Especially right? looking at the X Games. Yeah, no, like that was that was a weird example of like early PS1 localization but done right. Like somehow against all odds, they nailed the localization in Legends. Even as other games were just even other Mega Man games like you said, 8 yeah. and X4 couldn't get the localization thing down. No. Somehow they got this amazing like Saturday morning anime vibe mm-hmm. with the cast and it just worked. And I think the cast is just as good. Like it should be put on the same level as Metal Gear Solid's voice cast. Oh, I agree, one hundred percent. Totally. I still, I, I, I'm thinking about like, yeah, Teasel and and uh, Tron and Data and even and Mega Man with his mm. weird Canadian accent in the first game. <laughs> he, got, he got replaced in the second game by I think a, a, a girl. Yeah, or a woman it was a girl. His voice yeah. in the second one. Yeah. 
and it's just yeah and roll and every everyone cat barrel everyone was so good in that game mm-hmm. there's just so yeah. many great moments ah totally well yeah what's your number so one top that <laughs> i know well my number one it, it gotta give it to chrono cross Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know Chrono Trigger obviously is my favorite game of all time, and it would be easy enough just to give Chrono Cross a pass on that alone. But no, I mean, there are I have problems with Chrono Cross, but they are so completely dwarfed by everything that game gets right. And it, I, I think the the worst part about Chrono Cross is pacing, because you know mm-hmm. when when you first start playing it, if you're going into it as a Chrono Trigger fan, you're like, man, is this actually a sequel to Chrono Trigger? Like, there's really nothing here. But if you get far enough, then the Chrono Trigger connections start just bludgeoning you over the head. It's great. Like, just one after another. <laughs> and it expands. It's not so much a sequel as it is kind of a... It expands the world of Chrono Trigger and, and, and kind of recontextualizes a lot of what... Uh, basically everything that happened in Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And it does it in such a brilliantly dark way that it just... It really makes you... If you're really into Chrono Trigger like I was... It really makes you rethink everything that happened in that game in a completely different light and kind of sends chills down your spine like, oh, that's kind of messed up (laughs) when you see it from that different light. And Chrono Cross just takes that idea and runs with it and completely just builds layers and layers and layers of interesting new lore on top of Chrono Trigger's story. And the way it all comes together, it's just really good. It's really great. Um, And not to say nothing about just the gorgeous lush kind of almost almost organic look of that game because mm-hmm. the the entire story takes place on an archipelago and just everything about that game is just very like the 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 backgrounds feel organic everything feels lived in you feel like you know everywhere has a sense of culture to it and it just it had a an art design to it that was not reflected in other square games at the time even final fantasy games it's very Singular in that sense. And then, of course, I've got to talk about the music, which is very much just a. It's Yasunori Mitsuda returning and doing his thing. Oh, that's almost like a very Celtic. Oh, that opening theme. Right? I listened yeah, to that it's got, so many times. Yeah, it's got such strong, like, Celtic influences. And, and man, I. It's just the artistry on display in Chrono Cross mm-hmm. at any given moment is just insane. And, you know, it's got some problems. I was not a fan of the giant character cast. You know, you got like 40 playable characters, only three or four of whom are actually important to the plot. Maybe four or five. Mm-hmm. And the way they did the dialogue was basically they wrote the same dialogue in general, but then had like a a filter that would, you know, give that dialogue certain accents or certain affectations that you know were specific to that character like a certain character might have a french accent another one might have a you know speak in really in all caps yeah. things like that but it just kind of it kind of made the the cast feel a little plain i guess yeah and just that not was very yeah that was definitely my biggest issue with it because i would i had once again had chrono cross on my runners up because i i, uh. I came to it from a very different point of view because i if i remember correctly chrono cross came out before the Final Fantasy Chronicles, which was when I first played Chrono Trigger, so I oh, yeah. so I played Chrono Cross before I ever touched Chrono Trigger. So I did not have those connections in there. It was just I I knew it was kind of related to that, but I also knew uh-huh. I didn't really need to play it because there wasn't that many connections, at least at first glance. And yeah, um, just getting into that world, those beautiful cutscenes at the time, this the the concept of the story about going back and forth between dimensions. The, the kid is a great character. Um, it's yeah. been so long, but the Harlequin, what's her name? 
Oh, Harley. Harley. Oh, it's just Harley. Great. Yeah, Harley's great. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 villain. Um, oh gosh, it's been far too long. Links. Links. Yes, and uh, at least initially. Yeah. What the the twist is with him uh, that happens uh-huh. part way through the game. Like there was so many great moments, like individual moments that stand out to me, and it's it, it was a really great time. It had a very interesting battle system as well. Uh, that I, yeah. I greatly enjoyed. And um, again, I, I think I've explained about this with Chrono Cross being the past where I never beat the game because I was never able to use the Chrono Cross in the final <laughs> battle, which was a pain right. in the ass. Um, but it, it's one of those things I'd love to revisit. Like, honestly, what I'd love mm-hmm. to do is replay Chrono Trigger and then jump right into Chrono Cross. That's, and, that's the way to do and it. And see what kind of things I missed out on that first time. I think that'd be oh yeah fascinating to do. No, no, it really it's such a great way to do it. And there was the I think it was the summer that Chrono Cross came out. But like I was looking forward to it for that five years between Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. Of course, as the sequel. Once Cross was announced, I'm like, oh my god, I'm getting a sequel to Chrono Trigger. And I, you know, I'll say, and you've seen some of this. Chrono Cross's story gets probably ridiculously way too complex toward the end, and you <laughs> yeah. got like. Three different timelines you're following, all of which have their own versions of events. But I gotta say, I am such a hardcore fan that I actually did one summer, did do all the research. I played through the game, I took <laughs> notes as I played, and I put it all in like a document, like a spreadsheet. And for like 15 <laughs> minutes of my life, it all came together. It all made sense. It all actually checked out, and then it all—I just forgot it all. But <laughs> for a while there, I—you know—you think I after all that work, it would have stayed with you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I still—I know the general sense of all the order of events in Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, of course. Uh-huh. But like for a while there, I had every year down, they all checked out and cross-referenced. I was such a big nerd; it was great, <laughs> and it all checked out, and it all came together. And then I like, of course, you know, just started playing other games, and I, so I don't remember the specifics anymore. But, you know, I have, I would say, a, a probably a much better understanding of the overall compass of events in general than most, just because I'm such a hardcore fan. Yeah. But, man, Chrono Cross, I think I've beaten that game like four or five times now. Like, it's just, I, mm. I love it. Yeah, it's one of those times, it's one of those things that uh, when I was a kid, it still kind of applies. I beat a game and then I move on with barely ever returning. Yeah. And it's because I just yeah. so much out there I want to try. So I, I, mean, I yeah, don't even return though there's, much. Yeah. But I also I look I look at my games. I'm like, God, there's so many I would love to replay given the oh, chance. God, but yeah. you got to keep looking forward. Yep. Never look back because there's too much going on. <laughs> By the way, I, I'm I feel so bad for you that your first time playing Chrono Trigger was the PS1 version. Yep. That is the worst. I I didn't care. The game stood out that much to me. Yeah, that's good. That's and good. I I love the game when I played it. Yeah, and uh, that's good. Then. So I, I, I don't feel hampered, hampered by that, like because I was playing it at the time where I didn't notice it as much, and I still that's true because you didn't, you didn't have any ref. Yeah, because when I was playing it, I was comparing it to the to the SNES version. I'm like, oh my god, why I can't? This is terrible. <laughs> but uh, if you if you ever do get the chance to go back and replay Chrono Trigger, you I highly recommend you play the DS. Oh yeah, I have I have the DS version. That's the version I'm really okay. playing, especially because it has more endings that connect to Chrono Cross. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, real quick before we wrap this up, uh, this podcast up, because we are approaching two hours, which is holy crap. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, just to give a quick rundown of my other runner-ups, because I mentioned a few of them with you because they just matched up with you. But otherwise, uh, Spyro 3, really the Spyro series in general, love it. Uh, Final Fantasy 7, you got to mention that because that was my first RPG. Oh, yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics, 
again, fantastic. Uh, the Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver. Uh, puzzles were a bit much, but again, the story and voice acting got me, pulled me in at that young age, and I stuck with the rest of the Soul Reaver series until I finally finished, which thankfully it did get an actual conclusion. Uh, so I was totally tied into that. And then finally, uh, Xenogears. And God, that game was a revelation for me as a kid. Oh, man. Oh, Xenogears is... It, it's, it's just a total... That game is just so such a mess story wise. I love it. Mm-hmm. They just they throw every single religious term they can think <laughs> of from every different faith uh-huh. and just and threw them at all at a wall and see what's and most of them stuck and they just use them for various things which necessarily you know didn't necessarily have to do with what they actually are. Oh yeah, in each because faith. for Japan it's just, it's just yeah. one of those things where it's cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. No, Xenogears is one hundred percent. A product of its time, and I love it for that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually on my runners-up list too. Xenogears, along with both Mega Man Legends games, uh, Final Fantasy VII, and Symphony of the Night, but also Rival Schools, which is just mm. one of Capcom's best 3D fighting games that they have never brought back, and I wish they would. And I got to give a shout out to Brave Fencer Musashi, yeah. the other Square game that came out around all that stuff. And Xenogears is great in its own way, but Brave Fencer Musashi. It's just such a – it's just its own very unique, cool little take on the action RPG. Yeah. And what a great game. And it loved to laugh at itself. Like it just – it was so silly. It was great. Oh, yeah. Because you, you had the – you had – basically the whole story was about the all-you-can-eat kingdom being attacked <laughs> by the Thirst Quencher Empire. What other game would give you that? That's so good. And I believe Musashi was played by uh, Izzy from Digimon. <laughs> Oh really? I think so. I think it's the same. Nice, voice because I know I've heard that voice before. Yeah, like that. That same voice actor did so many of those kinds of voices. Mm, it was. It was. It was good. And I was. I was so disappointed when I saw. I was like excited when Samurai Legend Musashi was coming out. Yeah. And then I heard like that it wasn't very good. I'm like crap. Like, yeah, I, I really tried for it to be. I played it as well. I was really hoping it would recapture the Brave Fencer magic. It didn't. Not at all. <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Yep. That was that was a SNES and PS One. Those were some golden years for Square Enix. They sure were. The PS One. God, the PS One had what a library. I, I I had so much fun with that system. Yeah. Like I said, that was when I really got introduced to well criticism at large for games as as well as just multiple genres. So PS One was yeah. kind of when I grew up with games. Like when I grew up in like the literal sense. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Like I was, yeah, I, I was starting, of course, to grow up with the Super Nintendo, and you know, I was a kid when I had the Nintendo. But then, yeah, I feel like the PS One is was really was my main console through my adolescent, you know, PS One and PS Two, and of course, N sixty four. But I feel like I definitely focused more on PS One mm-hmm. in that generation. Yeah, absolutely. So, thank you, Mario, for that uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that topic. That. Uh, I had a feeling it would get us talking. <laughs> no, I know. And it's just like I said, thank you for asking the question. We got to talk about not Nintendo for a little bit, which is a lot of fun because, yeah. again, you and I have this whole side of our gaming history that we don't get to talk about a lot because we mostly talked Nintendo, which is just as important oh, part yeah. of our gaming history. Absolutely. But, you know, most a lot of people who don't know us are like, oh, you're just Nintendo fans. That's not exactly – I mean, yes, we are, but we're also big PlayStation fans, at least, at least you and I are. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm like totally. There's there's a reason I've stuck with Nintendo and Sony throughout. Yeah, you know much much of it. Like ever since GameCube, <laughs> it's been. I've yeah. always had the Sony and Nintendo system. Yeah, exactly. Same here. So, yep. 
Well, I think that about covers it for episode 80 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening in for this two-hour-long uh, podcast. We're not even trying to make up for anything. It just happened that way. I know. <laughs> but I guess episode 80 is a nice milestone number to do a, a slightly longer episode. Yeah, on. I suppose so. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. And of course, if you enjoyed this... Um, Go ahead uh, think about supporting us on Patreon for just $1 a month. You can get these podcasts uh, three days early every Friday, as well as offer up topics like the one we had, ones we had here. So uh, hopefully you guys had some fun, and we'll catch you next week for episode 81. Till next time. Bye.